What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pixide Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with John Carlos and Andrew Velez. And this is now episode 127. In this episode, we're going to talk about Scottie Pippen calling MJ out, the Heat and Jazz, the Timberwolves rough patch, the Raptors hot start, players in the MIP race, and Marcus Smart calling out Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Riv could not make it here today. He was hospitalized. He passed out at the gym. So prayers up for Riv. Hopefully he gets back. He said he's feeling better. So, you know, drop down, feel better, Riv, in the comments. Let him feel loved and appreciated. Hopefully he's back for next episode. But we'll see. Uh, Most important thing is for him to feel good right now. So that's why you have teammates, right? Absolutely. You know, Clay Thompson goes out. Jordan Poole steps in. (laughs) Steph Curry, Draymond Green. You know, so that's why you got teammates. So this is going to be a great show, all basketball. Last week's episode was all basketball, and it got a ton of love. Outside of Raptors fans, Raptors fans, for some reason, didn't like it too much. We'll address that later on in the show. It's going to be a good one. But before we start, a quick Patreon member shout-out to Mario, Langston, Jazzy Juice, Johannes, Ruben, Brian, Ricky, E. Enzo, Sean Solis, Sean Muffins, John, Sean Triplett, Burner Hoops, Court Cousins, Ben Mack, P. George, Hakari, Mateen, Jay Aqua, and Dave Two Freedom. Good old Jay Aqua. Good old Jay Aqua. It's not the <laughs> same. I, I would, my boy's not last. I, I got it. Okay, next time I'll, I'll put him on. last. No worries. I'll put him last next time. I know that when I said it and that he wasn't last, I was like, Okay, it's not going to ring no, the same. No, it's not going to. It did not. It definitely did not. So on to the first topic. Let's start right away on this episode. Let's go. Scottie Pippen was not happy with his depiction in the Last Dance documentary when it aired, even though he got his own episode. I don't, I don't know what else you want. I, I really don't know what else you want. <laughs> when I saw those comments, I understood it from the standpoint that, okay, he didn't get much credit. The guys like John Paxson, all those guys didn't get as much credit, and all the teammates are upset about it. Then I thought to myself, what do you expect? Like, what, what, is, what are they supposed to say about you? We know that you're great. You're a top 50 player of all time. You, you made that list. Your greatness is recognized. You got an entire episode dedicated to you in that Last Dance documentary. This is no different from any great player we know in sports. You know, Tom Brady, when we talk about his Super Bowl rings, we talk about Brady and Belichick. We don't talk about Julian Edelman. We don't talk about... Stephon Gilmore. We don't talk about even Darrell Revis. Vince Wilfork. <laughs> we, we don't talk about the other guys. We talk about Brady and Belichick. With LeBron, there's people nowadays that don't even think the Miami Heat were a big three. Yep. They, they don't give Chris Bosh, they don't give Dwayne Wade their proper respect. Even with the Cavs. The reason Kyrie left LeBron is because he didn't feel appreciated because yeah. it was all about LeBron. The Spurs. Dynasty. Yeah, we credit them as the big three, but didn't Ginobili and Tony Parker get snubbed from the all-time 75 players list? The only guy that was a part of that list was Tim Duncan, and he's the only one that's recognized as that centerpiece. 
So this is no different. I don't know why Scotty caught so much feelings. People always say Scotty's the reason why MJ advanced in the playoffs, all this other stuff. Not true. The first playoff series that Michael Jordan won when Scotty Pippen was on the team, Michael Jordan averaged 45. Scotty averaged 10. 45 to 10. You look at the final stats. You look at Michael Jordan in the finals. I mean, 31, 6, and 11 versus the Lakers. 36, 5, and 6 against the Blazers. 41, 8, and 6 versus the Suns. 27, 5, and 4 versus the Sonics. And averaged 30 plus in each of the finals against the Jazz. I mean, his numbers were remarkably better than Pippen's. And we recognize Pippen as an all-time great defender, one of the best ever. Michael Jordan was just as good as a defender. Probably I mean, better. it just happens sometimes that someone's greatness overshadows you. You know, doesn't mean that you're not great, but you just aren't as great. And that's why you're overshadowed. This wasn't a Kobe and Shaq dynamic where it's a it's a tag team duo. This isn't the Hardy Boys. This is singles competition we're talking about. So this is why Michael Jordan got the respect and got the glamour admiration. and the fame, the admiration. But I thought every single bull that was pivotal to that run was highlighted in that documentary. They had an episode about Dennis. They had an episode about Scotty, about BJ Armstrong. They had they talked Tony Kukoc. They talked about the guys. They gave them their respect. I don't know what else he wants. What do you guys think? Um, so like who I'm siding with? I mean, I I think the only person that's right in this situation is obviously Michael Jordan. Uh, I don't think Scottie Pippen's right because, I mean, if you've been a fan of basketball, you've been following it. For years, he's kind of been throwing a little little, little shots at, at Michael Jordan. There was an interview back, I think, in 2010 where he was saying LeBron was the best player. And then after he had a brief conversation with Michael Jordan, went on to say Michael Jordan was the best. So he's been flip-flopping all along. But, I mean, just to point out what you said, I mean, Michael Jordan was the face of the NBA in that time. He was the face of the NBA. So... Not only Scottie Pippen, but mostly anybody who played with Michael Jordan, you are not going to get that same admiration as Michael Jordan. He was the he's 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 who globalized the NBA game, and mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, on the court performance, Michael Jordan was better. Michael Jordan's a defensive player of the year, has nine time All Defensive uh, first teams, has ten scoring titles, five MVPs, six Finals MVPs. He's done it all on the basketball court. There's not too many careers that can overshadow Michael Jordan. The only one that's probably comparable, maybe Kareem. LeBron James, you know, for obvious reasons with the GOAT debate. But, I mean, other than that, you just saw what Michael Jordan did on the basketball court. I don't understand why Scottie Pippen felt slighted. In in the last dance, Michael Jordan specifically said, there's no MJ without Scottie Pippen. He's giving you your credit. All the Every other player, every every LeBron fan, debater, Shannon Sharp, everybody gives Scottie Pippen their, his credit. Would he have won those six championships without Scottie Pippen? No, probably not. You were not going to win six, go six for six without Scottie Pippen. But you have gotten your just dues. You're a top 50 player of all time. You have six championships. You were drafted with, I think, Horace Grant for whatever. You both started out as role players. Phil Jackson got there. You guys got elevated roles. Michael Jordan, there's there's people to this day. Michael Jordan made Scottie Pippen what he was. Michael The, the impact, the influence... Of Michael Jordan rubbed off on Scottie Pippen. There was practices where Michael Jordan was telling Scottie Pippen, yo, come over here. I see something special in you. You know, you can you can be the second best player on this team. You can help us get to 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 places that that we want to reach. And they ultimately became a dynasty. So I'm signing with Michael Jordan. I mean, I've never really seen Michael Jordan slight Scottie Pippen in that way. I've seen Scottie Pippen throw majority of shots at Michael Jordan back in the early 2010s when he was saying LeBron was better. I, I've just seen a lot of um 
jealousy coming out of Scottie Pippen. I mean, and it's right. I mean, Michael Jordan is widely regarded as the greatest basketball player of all time. You were just looked upon as a as a great second option, but you will never be number one. You're you're always on a team with Michael Jordan. Your role was to be the secondary player. And that's where you were. You played your role to perfection. You're a top 50 player of all time. You got notoriety. You're one of the best all-around players. You were one of the introducers of the point forward in the game. Everybody knows how elite Scottie Pippen is, but come on, bro. You got your just due. Michael Jordan even said himself, there's no Michael Jordan. There's no Bulls dynasty without Scottie Pippen. So I'm signing with Michael Jordan. I, I can't really side with Scottie Pippen on this For majority, I, I agree with you guys. I think that to a degree, Scottie Pippen needs to take it down a few notches. But... His main quote was that Jordan sounded condescending. I don't know if I would go condescending as a word because that's just Michael Jordan's personality. Michael Jordan's always been a listen. I mean, all you have to do is YouTube search Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech. It's basically 15 minutes of him saying, I'm the best ever, and here's why. <laughs> Scottie Pippen needs his respect, though, and I'm sure everyone here at this table can agree Scottie Pippen is one of the best players to ever touch a basketball. And there was times while he was on the court during his tenure, he could be debated to be a top five player in the Absolutely. NBA. He was that great. So I can understand where I'm Scotty, and obviously I'm playing with Michael Jordan, who is better than me at basketball. And I'm still a top five player, and I'm still not getting the respect I deserve. We also got to take into account that Scotty Pippen was slighted when it come to the, came to the contract, too. So there's multiple layers that yeah. go on top he of it. He signed it. For sure. Definitely did. I agree with you, but it. there's a re- the, the reason why he signed it is sound with me. I'll, you'll never hear me say, Scotty, why'd you do that? He had family issues. Yeah. His father was uh, was in a wheelchair. I believe his brother was in a wheelchair. He needed to take care of his family, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Yeah. But when the owner comes to you and says, listen, don't sign this contract. It's not going to be beneficial for you in a few years, and I'm not negotiating it with you, and still goes and signs it, then it's on Scotty. But I 100% understand why he signed that contract. Nevertheless, there's issues or there's multiple reasons why I can understand Scotty feels some type of animosity towards it. Because obviously, Scotty was this all-world type ball player. And we saw that one season where Scotty was the guy. He still took him to, to seven games with, with the, with the Knicks. Call? And let's be honest. If they beat the Knicks, they probably go to the championship. So there's, there's things that I can understand why, if I'm Scotty, I'm upset. Ultimately, though, you're not Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is number one, one A, one B. However you want to look at it, with LeBron James, Michael Jordan, at the minimum, he is one B. Michael Jordan just means that much to the game. Like JC mentioned, like you mentioned, he globalized basketball. He made basketball what it is today. He made it where you watch basketball in Europe. You you watch basketball in China. Michael Jordan did all that for the NBA. So condescending. I think that Michael Jordan's been condescending to a degree all his life. I mean, it's not what you're just going to expect him to change come come documentary time where he's going to try and explain to every single person why he's the best ever. Mm-hmm. It's, the only thing I can see or why this would be even more so condescending would be that he he okayed this around the time that LeBron come, came back from 3-1. And Jordan wanted younger generation like us to see why he is the best ever. So he needed to be a little more uh, assertive in his approach to saying, listen, you guys think this guy, LeBron James, is this good, but here's what I did with what I was dealt. I came into Chicago, who was a, a poverty franchise, and I made them to a six-time world champion. So, I mean, to a degree, it was out of Michael's hands. But do I understand where Scotty's coming from to a degree? For sure. But it's like a 
90-10% thing where Michael's right because he's Michael and he's bigger than basketball. Scotty was just uh, definitely an integral part in that process. Absolutely. But he, he was a, a piece of the process. I just have a tough time taking statements seriously from people who have reasoning behind their statements. They have reasoning behind causing controversy. Scottie Pippen is trying to sell his book. He's trying to sell his member his his Fair. a biography yeah. basically about yeah. his life. Very true. A book that's probably gonna set, be condescending and yeah. highlight how great he is. And earlier this year, what did he do? He called Phil Jackson a racist. And I'm not saying Phil Jackson's not a racist because there are there's been some questions. There, there are some stories about him out there that you can go and search up for yourself. But then now criticizing Michael. Oh, I didn't like the way we were depicted. I, I mean, the documentary is about Michael, bro. Like, I know it's called The Last Dance. It's the last That's season. That's another thing that I can understand where he was coming from. Because that last dance really could Supposed just... to be highlighted exactly. to Bulls, that team. Yep. But it really was highlighting it, Michael Jordan in his last season. I, I can understand that his supposedly last season yeah. until he went to Washington. But Scottie Pippen's trying to sell a book. And what happened after he called that MJ? Oh, first take is talking about it. Oh, Undisputed is talking. He knows that was going to happen. He knows calling Phil Jackson a racist, that was the result he was going to get. Why didn't Scotty do this before? You know, he's had 20 years to talk about this, or he's had, you know, a year or so to talk about this last dance thing and how condescending it was, but he's talking about it now when he's trying to sell a book that I probably might buy, I'll be honest. But, you know, not because of the comments, just because I want to see, you know, I like reading basketball books. So that's why I can't fully get behind this. But like I said, this is no different from any great time player. For example, Golden State Warriors, we are going to know them as one of the best dynasties of the 2010s of probably all time. They were the greatest regular season of all time, 73-9. We know that they didn't win the finals, they didn't win the championship, but they were still the best regular season of all time. 20 years from now, people are going to look up Draymond Green's stats and think he wasn't that good. Facts. People are going to look at Curry and say, he's the reason why. They're going to knock Clay. People still knock Clay now, you know? Inexcusable. They're, they're going to knock Draymond and they're going to praise Steph because he was the 1A. It may not be to the level of MJ because Steph doesn't have those finals MVPs and that's yeah. always going to hold them back. But in terms of that, you know, in terms of the Warriors, we're going to talk about Steph, Steph and KD. Nobody's going to really talk about Iguodala, Draymond, Clay. Clay. Those are going to be forgotten about. Clay, Clay Thompson just got left off the all-time 75 players list. You know, and I thought he should have got in. He got left off that list. So you can already see that these people that are writing the history books are forgetting about these other guys. And that's what's, what, what happened to Scotty. And that's what's happening to, that's what happened to most of Michael Jordan's teammates. This is not a knock on them. It's just we usually tend to celebrate the winning team and the best player on that winning team yeah. than everybody else. And we usually forget about everybody else. And it happens in every single sport. You know, when you, you look at football last year, Tom Brady in the Bucks. We know the Bucks roster's loaded, but we say Tom Brady's the reason. I was going to say that's yeah. a really good analogy. <laughs> uh, you, you know, when you look at the year before, you know, year before who won? I forgot. Football, you're saying? Yeah, football. Chiefs. Chiefs won. We look at Mahomes. 
just Mahomes. We don't talk about Steve Spagnola changing around that defense. We just say, Mahomes, can he be the GOAT? Can he do this? It's the same thing. <laughs> yep. Every single sport. The best player gets highlighted. Everybody else gets forgotten. Yo, even when Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors won, you saw yeah. people saying Kawhi Leonard was the reason why. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to remember the, Raptors team exactly. the, the contributions like of Pascal Siakam, exactly. Kyle Lowry. Yep. All these other and mm-hmm. uh, Nick Nurse, Mark Gasol, her first year as a coach, and, and that's well. an excellent example because Kawhi Leonard, when he goes to Toronto, oh, they win. It's because of Kawhi. It's Kawhi City. Kawhi, He's the best yeah. player in the NBA. Yep. Nobody ever talks about that. Five players that year in the playoffs averaged double digits for yeah. the Raptors in the finals. We're going crazy. Fred Van Vliet was a huge part oh, to that success. Kyle Lowry, Siakam, they were stacked. Phenomenal. They were stacked. You know, so that's why the best player on the winning team usually gets the recognition. I don't know why Scotty's so butthurt. It is what it is. Talking about two of the best teams, let's talk about two of the best teams in the NBA right now. One can say they aren't the best ones, but record-wise they are up there. The Utah Jazz are number one in the Western Conference right now. The Miami Heat are not. They were one in the East, but Philly passed them up. But... Let's just talk about the Heat and Jazz for a second. They both have been phenomenal to start the season. The Jazz and the Heat both have the same net rating of plus 12.6, which is tied for the second best in the NBA. Number one is Golden State at 13.2. But talking about the Jazz and Heat, who do you think is the more dominant team? Who can keep it up for longer? And who do you trust come postseason time more? Um. So to answer those, you know, couple of questions that you asked, I think personally, I've been, I mean, you guys can attest to this. I've been high on Miami. I've been high on Miami since the offseason. They got Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker. They got those, you know, acquisitions, made their team much better. I think personally, I think Miami's the slightly better team. I was looking at their uh, offensive defensive rankings. Miami right now is, is the fifth ranked offense in the NBA. And they're the number one defense in NBA by far right now. I was checking the numbers. And Jimmy Butler, I saw the Kia MVP uh, ladder. Jimmy Butler, I think he's the he's third. He's the third candidate on the yeah, behind right. Steph Curry and and and, yeah. and Kevin Durant. He's been bugging. He's balling now. He's playing great. Uh Tyler Hero's looking like a six serious six man of the year candidate. I don't know which one of you called that that he could potentially win that award. Maybe it was River, whoever called that great call because he's looking like That's he's me. Yeah, yeah. He, he's looking like, you know, he's every bit of a person that could win six man of the year. Uh Bam Adebayo was who was my pick for defensive player of the year. He's killing it on defense this year. Um, then you have a uh, which we call it. Uh, I just feel Miami's the you know just a slightly better all around team. I know they have three players scoring twenty points per game. Jimmy Butler's giving you about twenty five. Tyler Harrell's giving you twenty off the bench. Bam Adebayo's giving you twenty, twenty and thirteen. So who and, do you think is gonna be better in this regular season? Like okay, who do you see so is she, gonna finish with she, the best? So record? that's the thing. The data tells me that the Utah Jazz will probably finish with the better record given that they've been number one in the West. They're more so of a regular season team. I, I, they were my ceiling for them when we did our predictions. I think they could be number one. My ceiling for Miami was number three. So I'm going to say just lean towards the jazz in a regular season. Now come postseason time, I'm going to go with the Miami heat. I think defensively they can match up with any team in the NBA offensively. The, the Kyle Lowry's gotten off to a slow start. His numbers aren't that well, but I think as time goes on, they'll obviously he'll, he'll get better. So I think just defensively and all around, I think Miami Miami has a better you know scoring cast, supporting cast, and defensively, I think from top to bottom they're amazing. So I would trust them. I, I think I think they match up well against the top seeds in, in in the East, whether it be 
Milwaukee, Brooklyn. I just trust them more. And they they have finals experience. You know, they were just coming out the finals a couple years ago in the bubble. Kyle Lowry's a champion. P.J. Tucker's coming off a championship. This this team, the Miami Heat this offseason really built a team that could really upset the Bucks or the Nets. And I feel like come playoff time, I trust them more. I think their team is just better defensively, and they got that much better offensively that I think um, I think they can take anybody down in the NBA. My biggest concern with the Heat this offseason was that they didn't have enough scoring. They had one person over 20 points per game last season. That was Jimmy Butler. This season... They have about three. Yeah. Bam out of bounds at 19.7. I'll do him the solid. I'll round him up the point. That's three. what I did. <laughs> he's been he's been excellent this season. Tyler Hero averaging 20.4 per game. We spoke about that too. We you needed that one extra piece off the bench, regardless of where he's gonna come from, to ignite the, the, the bench unit, to to be that piece off the bench that's gonna get you that scoring that you need. I had worries about the offense. And like you mentioned, Kyle Lowry really hasn't even gotten off to that great of a start. He's averaging about 10 points per game. His assist numbers are, are around Kyle Lowry's average. He's averaging about like 7.5, something like that. But they've been scoring a lot. They're top five in offense, number one defensive rating. But that wasn't a surprise to us. Yeah. Coming to the season, we knew just looking at that five with, oh, La- yeah. with Lowry, Duncan Robinson has to start, but regardless, P.J. Tucker, uh, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo, that those five were going to be good enough to defend against any team in the NBA. But offense was the question, and up until this point, they've completely thrown that to the side. And once Kyle Lowry starts cooking, the offense is only going to get better. Oladipo's going to come back. Oladipo hasn't even played a game yet, which is very interesting. Only thing that I have that about the Utah Jazz and why I, I would say I lean the heat more so to continue their dominance is that Jazz are just a little bit injury prone to me. Donovan Mitchell missed last game, regardless of whether it was just, you know, give him a breather or not. Donovan Mitchell last season missed some time too. And I don't think that Donovan, Donovan Mitchell's injury prone. Yeah. Mike Conley's getting up there in age. And when Mike Conley's on the court, like we've had multiple discussions about, they're obviously better. I'm not sure if I can trust Mike Conley staying on the court for the for you know the entirety of the season come postseason time, Bogdanovich has been great for sure, but, but we've seen Bogdanovich go down when they need him most too. Joe Ingles is a solid dude, and and I we haven't seen any injury history out of Joe Ingles. We haven't seen any injury history out of Rudy Gobert, but we're talking about Donovan Mitchell, who is the piece that makes the Utah Jazz go, and we're talking about Mike Conley, who we've seen when he's not on the court, his impact is felt. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So I just trust the Heat's game plan, their their scheme, the just their overall team more just because from what I've seen from Utah in the past, they can only be so good in the regular season. I think regular season wise, for sure, Jazz could be will be there because they're a regular season team. Like you like you said already, I'm just gonna reiterate in a yeah. different way. Jazz are, are, are an excellent regular season team, but come postseason time, I'm not I'm not all in on them. Sure, they do have the scores. Jordan Clarkson woke up last game for sure. I think he had 28, almost 30 points. He woke up, he broke out of that slump. I think he went a few games without hitting the three. He put that to bed. He had an excellent game. They have di- they have dynamic scores. They have aggressive scores. My concern is his health mm-hmm. and and whether Rudy Gobert is going to be able to to come out and. and off the pick-and-roll defense, if he's going to be able to to adjust to those switches. I know Bam Adebayo can do that. Perimeter defense, Bam Adebayo is arguably the best defensive center in the league when it comes to that. I think he is. Yeah, I mean, he's been excellent both sides of the court. Struggled against Boston, but Al Horford has just been also known for just being a great defender regardless of the age that he's yeah, been he's at. Been he's been playing at a very high level for the Celtics, too. 
So I'm not thinking too much about that Celtics game. I think overall, the improvements that they've shown on offense, I lean the Heat and right come now. Come playoff time, you trust Miami more, right? I do. I, I lean Miami come playoff time. One, most importantly, Eric Spolstra. Great coach. And two, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker. The Jazz are going to be the best regular season team. Without a doubt. We all agree to that. Yeah, and, I'm with you. And that's, there's no doubt about it to me. Even if Donovan Mitchell goes down, even if Mike Conley goes down, they find ways to win regular season games. For sure. Versus Atlanta, they beat them by 18 without Donovan Mitchell. Jordan Clarkson had 30 points in that game. Rudy Gobert is taking a, a bigger step in rebounding. And pop, probably he's averaging more rebounds because of the more physical play in the NBA. Now there are more missed shots as well. True. So he has more opportunities to get those rebounds. The Jazz are a great regular season team. And I think because they're so great, no matter who they plug in and play, is the reason why Donovan Mitchell will never get his respect as an MVP candidate. Okay. Because Jimmy Butler, he's third in the MVP race, right? Yeah. And Miami Heat, you know, they were the first seed. He's averaging 25. Butler's averaging 24, 6, and 5. Mm-hmm. Mitchell's averaging 25, 5, and 5. The Jazz are the first seed. Nobody talks about him at all in the MVP conversation. There's a reason for that. It's because when Mitchell goes out, they still beat an Atlanta team by 18. They still do what they do. Mitchell isn't an analytics darling. You know, the P, the players with the best PER on the Jazz are usually, you know, Conley or Gobert. You know, those those advanced metrics you usually favor those players. In the offseason, you mentioned that the Heat didn't have enough scores. I agree. They don't have a James Harden, Kevin Durant, game level score. But they have a lot of guys. And Kyle Lowry, he's in a funk right now. He's averaging 10 points per game. He got injured versus Boston. He was limping off the court. Well, he was hopping off the court, actually. (laughs) But Miami, there's just something about them defensively that I just trust them. And the reason why I trust them in the playoffs over the Jazz, it has nothing to do with their personnel. It just has to do with the fact that they've already been to the finals. This core has already been to the finals. Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, they already been to the finals. Dwayne Dedman is a really good role player for them. You, we know that Kyle Lowry, the additions of Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker, what they did for them, de- what they're doing for them defensively as of now, second-best defensive rating in the NBA, is absolutely astonishing. I mean, they are locking down teams. They are that great defensively. And Victor Oladipo is that X factor. And when he comes <laughs> yeah, back, bro. and when you have Hero and Deadman and Oladipo off the bench, when you get that, when you get that crew together, if they start catching a rhythm, this team can go by the East. Because right now, Milwaukee, Drew Holiday's banged hurt up. right now, banged up. Middleton didn't play last game. Holy. Brooke Lopez is banged up right now. And Milwaukee, you're seeing it right now to start the season. Their depth isn't that great. You know, they lose one of their main guys. Their depth can't fill in. To be DiVincenzo's fair, out lost, too. They lost three guys. Yeah, three yeah of their main yeah, guys. Yeah. So I'm going to give them a little bit yeah, of Yeah, they lost, yeah, they yeah. lost to yeah. Minnesota without Drew and, and Brooke. Yeah. But I mean, for Drew's career, you look at where he's been at with the Pelicans, he was hurt a lot. Yeah. You know, so he's not a guy that usually stays healthy. Brooke Lopez, this is an anomaly year because he's usually healthy. But Drew Holiday is that guy that if he if he's banged up, they don't get past the Nets. They don't get past the Heat. They won't beat us they without Drew Holiday. They not being nobody without Drew, one of the top teams in the East. They won't beat us without Middleton either. Oh, for sure. But the Jazz are no slouch. And the Jazz, if they're healthy, they can give any team in the West a run for their money. Absolutely. For me, 
you know I'm I'm with Golden State all day. Golden State's my team. They're first in net rating oh, right now. Scotty. I'll pick them before the season. They've been excellent. I, I, of course. I'll pick them before the season to make it out the West. He said my But team. the second team is a toss-up. The Lakers or the Jazz? Because we know that Utah team, oh, they have Russell Westbrook figured out. They eliminated they eliminated him how much times in the playoffs already? I think it was once. It was just once, but yeah. a rookie Mitchell eliminated Westbrook in the playoffs. Phenomenal. They have Westbrook. They they have that game plan figured oh, out. Mitchell's that playoff performer as yeah, well. They Mitchell have that game plan figured out. So for I'm not me, worried. I like. Early. I know the Lakers have the star power, but for me, I just put you know my West is my West rankings in terms of playoffs. Warriors, Jazz, and Lakers. Lakers and Jazz are fighting for that second spot. But me, I think it's Golden State. And, you know, both teams are great. I think the Heat have an edge on them just because of that experience in the playoffs and because they tend to stay more healthy. But the Jazz are no slouch either. All three of us have a similar opinion, so I'm going to go in depth on what you just said right now about the West. And I won't go too deep because, obviously, they know who I side with. But Jazz to Lakers right now. We've seen the transition. We've seen AD move to the five like I've been absolutely begging the Lakers to do, and we've seen it have some success. He's been playing out of his mind. Russell Westbrook, outside of the two games, he's been he's been playing <laughs> Westbrook, okay. Yeah. He had He's had some, some struggles still defensively, and I think that that will get cleaned up. LeBron, surprisingly, I, I, believe, uh, I think it was an abdominal strain, something like that. He's going to be out for the week. We look good. We look good. I think we look I lost damn good. A 19-point lead. I'm, I'm not thinking about that too much, truthfully. It hurts, sure. Like, as a fan, I want to win those games, and we should be 7-2 and two instead of 5-4. and four. That being said, AD playing at the 5, going against Gobert, I love that. AD playing at the 5 is going to open up the floor a lot oh for Westbrook. Oh, my God. And Melo, the way that Melo has Mello's been, playing, been playing, amazing. I'll give you your credit for sure. You said Melo needs to be that third-best scoring option for the Lakers if they want to have success. He's been otherworldly. Melo's been really good. I don't know if I said that. I think I said something along those lines. But regardless, you're praising me, so I'm, no, I'm fine Listen, because Russell has been doing his thing. I just love the fact that Russell's being more aggressive. I, I, I beg for that when he, we, we lost the first two games. Because if he's not being aggressive, then you take Russell Westbrook out of the game completely. But I never doubted Russell's aggression, for sure. Yeah. It's just a matter of if he's going to start making his shots or not. As long as he's knocking down one to two threes a game, two threes max, you still have to think that he's going to shoot the basketball. And then you still can't guard him driving the ball because he's too fast. You know, I had this thought once I saw the Lakers play their first couple of games in a season. I said that I don't know why people think it's a given that Westbrook's just going to be the third best player on the Lakers. Because we know it's LeBron and AD. But on any given night, based on how erratic Westbrook's play is... Carmelo can be their third best player on any single given night. It's because yeah. Carmelo, you know he's going to come in. I'm sorry, JC, if no, you want to go on some yeah. Carmelo is going to be consistent. From what we've seen, at least, he's just been making his shots because they're not double. You can't double team Melo, at least not in this point in time. And he's an isolation basketball player. Back to the basket, there's very few post-game players better than Melo. I just think his he's just become three so point much better as a spot it's over 40% it's, again it's been yeah. 43 right you know what i think melo did i think melo saw chris paul at 36 go to the finals and lead a suns team there you know with devin booker you know give him their, give him his respect they're a great team and then he saw lebron still playing great in his 19th season carmelo said if these two guys can still play at an all-star level i can still play i i came i came into the nba the same time as lebron 
If he can still be a top five yeah. player in the league, why can't I be all-star caliber? And now Carmelo, you know, spent a year with Portland, spent two years with Portland, getting his body back in shape. I think this year we're finally seeing all of his work, his body finally be in ultimate shape. And now yeah. we're getting a more refined Melo who's adapted to this game and has become a, a really viable spot-up shooter. So what do you think, JC? As it stands right now, Lakers or Utah? Uh, is this just for the regular season? Here, I just okay. you know what regular season. I feel like regular season Utah is going to be one. Yeah, that's. I that's don't have any doubts about that because, like you mentioned, they're very good in terms of plug and play. They yeah. don't need their main guys to be out there night in night out for them to still win games. They've got the regular season down packed. It's come postseason time that I really do oh, have no. questions. Come postseason time, I mean. We've seen throughout LeBron's career, he steps it up to another level. Hopefully, he's healthy this year going to the playoffs. There's no mishaps, no you know, no injuries going in between him and Anthony Davis. I'm still going to stand on what I said. I still think come playoff time, I think the Lakers are the most scary team in the West. You have LeBron James. You have Anthony Davis. You have Russell Westbrook. It's only game nine, game 10 of the season. You have Melo playing well. I have no issues. I think this team is going to figure it out. And come playoff time, I mean, come on. Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert. Versus LeBron, AD, Westbrook, Melo. Who, who, who are you putting your money on? Let's be real. Who are you putting your money See, on? See, I, I just I can't. Know. I don't want to disrespect Bogdanovich. We're not. Bogdanovich we're not. Look, 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 listen. Every how indication. Much better, how much better is Westbrook than Conley right now? He's better than him. By, by he's better than him, but it's really not. I think he's. I think he's. I think he's slightly better than him. Slightly. I think impact wise. How, how, how much? If Conley was on the Lakers, he, he would make y'all. Really good. Okay, man. I'm not disagreeing with you. Because of shooting. That being, yeah. That's yeah. the thing. And he's, just defensive. Yo, defensively, Russ is not he's good. So, 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 all right, he's so, been so, so, bad. Then, so then, I mean, you know, one thing to all the Jazz fans, I'm really sorry I forgot about this. Donovan Mitchell steps up in the playoffs. His numbers, he's one of the best playoff performers of all time statistically. He averages 29. Pardon me, Base Jazz more? fans. Um, But it's just like. Yo, I hate baseball so much. It's just like. LeBron, LeBron, healthy LeBron, he's still showing you he can. There's nights where LeBron put up 34, 9, and 9. We know we can still get that out of LeBron. Healthy Anthony Davis, last time we saw him healthy throughout the postseason, gave you 28 and 11 he's shooting on route to the finals. Three. Who, AD? Yeah. yeah, he's been bad from three. Yeah. I just, just feel like if you have Russ and AD who can't shoot, LeBron, can't but I don't feel like AD is going to shoot 14% all He's not going to shoot 14% no, not, all year. I don't know if he's going to. I think I think 30, the Jazz could, 31, 32 percent. You know, they'll feel comfortable letting him op- leave him open, depending on how he finishes. But the thing season. is, if they decide to leave him open, that's a mistake. I just feel like Anthony Davis, at his best, honestly, is just just. I'm gonna just be honest. He's way better than Gobert. Let, let's be real. Anthony Davis, at his best, last time we seen him at his best, they were champions. No, no, there's no doubt. Anthony he's way Davis than at Gobert. his best. LeBron James at his best. The only one who kind of scares me in the Lakers, Russell Westbrook, because he's been kind of iffy in the playoffs. But I, I, I just think, I just think the. Just the duo of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, how much they step up their games when they're healthy in the playoffs, I feel like that's just that's enough to get you past Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. That's how I feel. Do I you mean, think there's any chance Carmelo wins six men of the year? He has a shot. It's, it's just Tyler is Tyler Harrow's been bugging out, but I mean, we're gonna see. It's only been ten games. Let's see if Tyler Harrow can, can I don't think Kyler Hero, Tyler Hero is gonna consistently drop twenty points per game out the bat. I don't know, he can. I think I see seventeen, eighteen a game. Who are you saying? I, Tyler. Oh, I think I, he can stay above twenty. I think you stay at twenty. At twenty, I, I, I say for him maybe eighteen points per game. For me, he's I don't know if he bugging. Can, he, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I would say Melo could probably finish top three, and that's not behind Clarkson and um exactly and Tyler Clarkson and Tyler. I think Tyler right now has got to be the favorite because he's listen. After he came out with that quote, "I'm on Luca, I'm on Trey's level," 
And bro's been averaging. I think Trey uh, Lucas started to bug out a little bit. I think he's at like 24, 25 points per game. But he's still averaging more points than Trey Young. <laughs> I, we got to start giving Tyler his respect offensively. No, Tyler, Hero's, Tyler Hero's a good scorer. No, but, but right right now, at least where it stands, I got to go Tyler Hero. Oh, as Tyler's six, number man. one, yeah. Mello and Jordan Clarkson right now, obviously Utah's the number one seed, but Mello's been has, a little better. He's been super efficient. Mello's been a little like, better. You like efficiency that you probably can't keep up for a season yeah. type efficient. So I think if Melo does win that award, that would be the perfect award for his resume. And yeah. it'd be the perfect storyline because That's the so biggest well knock on him was that he didn't want he didn't want to come off the, off the bench. bench. Now he willingly comes off the bench in Portland. He was very great off the bench. Now he goes to LA, plays with LeBron and win six men of the year, that's such a that's such a great storyline for his career. And what if the Lakers win a championship? I was going to say, cap it with the chip. Oh, now if Melo got a championship with six men of the year, I mean, that that's that's like... Riv, is that enough to great. put on first ballot? Finally, bro, if he has a six man of the year and a championship? Nah, he's definitely he first ballot, bro. He's first ballot. River's talking nonsense. Riv just and then Chris Paul sometime. be the only one in but the yeah, Bandable crew without one. Yeah, but just imagine Melo winning that championship and his six man of the year. It's not like a Jason Kidd championship. You know where he was averaging six and they won. Jason Kidd was starting. Now he was great in that. I'm not. I'm Defensively, not he, he was, was really great. good. He he was great. He was but, good. You know, he was way. He was old. He was old. He was 38, 39. But the thing about Jason Kidd is that he just made an impact without showing it on the box score much. Because I remember when he Smart went to the, player. When he went to the Knicks, we won 53 games, and Jason Kidd, the stats didn't show it, but he was very made a big huge impact. For us. Yeah. I had this thought watching Golden State the other day because Jordan Poole, we saw what he did against Charlotte. He went. Crazy, yeah. he went off. He's my pick for most improved player. That doesn't look too good right now. Riggins. But nonetheless, I had this thought. If Jordan Poole keeps on playing like this, if he's averaging 16 to 18 points efficiently, he's playing really good defense right now too. When Clay comes back, does Golden State have Clay come off the bench? Absolutely not. No way. Absolutely not. Can't. I you understand th- you what think you're saying. You, oh, at, first, at first, he'll probably come off the bench of minutes I'm not saying. I'm not saying at first. I'm oh, saying, saying come for, off the bench for the year. You want to know why? No way. Clay is coming off of two career-ending Cl- injuries, ACL injury and Achilles injury. Who's a guy that went to Golden State in 2015 and was an all-star but came off the bench for the betterment of the team? Iguodala. Andre Iguodala. Yeah. Clay Thompson, knowing... He's probably he's not the same defender. He's the same shooter. What if he just, what if Steve Kerr tells Klay Thompson it's better for you to come off the bench for us? And now Golden State would have a bench of Igudala, Clay, Bielitsa, Damian Lee. What's wrong with Gary Poole off Payton? the bench though? Because I just think I just think Jordan Poole his confidence offers, needs to be in the Jordan Poole, lineup too. No, I think he could be a great bench player. I just think Jordan. Yeah, me too. That's what I'm saying. Jordan Poole is just a better defender. He's a better defender than Clay right now. I mean, and we I, haven't seen Clay defend. I'm just predicting that Poole, even when Clay comes back, is going to be a better defender because the injuries that Clay has sustained are substantial. And I feel like if Golden State wants to be keep up this great defensive rating that they're at, they're at a historic pace. Poole has to start for the rest of the year. Clay comes off the bench. And Iguodala can help him out with that process because he's done it before. It's tough, man. I don't I just I don't, don't like that. I it's not I don't. I out of I think out of a respect. You want to know why too? At the minimum, they'll start him. I understand the respect thing, but this is this is another point I have as well. Clay Thompson, he's not a creator. He's not a playmaker. He's a spot up shooter. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
But Jordan Poole offers Golden State a different dynamic because he can put the ball on the floor and he can create for himself and for others. It's harder to trap Curry when you got another playmaker in Jordan Poole out there who could get his own. Klay Thompson, spot-up shooter, it's much easier to hone in on Curry and kind of take guys out. Because I think because Jordan Poole can create better on offense and he, he's a great spot-up shooter as well, he probably fits Golden State better now. But and that's why I would keep him in the starting lineup. But, so given the fact that he is a better facilitator to a degree, he is better on putting the ball on the ground and, and making things no, happen, is, wouldn't you want that on the second unit also? I think wouldn't they that already be, have that. But wouldn't that be but more, I don't, pardon in me. terms of oh. what, Iguodala? They already have a bunch of playmakers on their Damian bench. Lee has been doing his thing. Bielitsa has been amazing for them. He has been. Iguodala I mean, has he's been, been... He's been good. I mean, I'm just talking about their, I know their respective roles. roles. For sure. Their Fair. respective roles, I they agree. have been amazing for oh, them. Yeah, they are 7-1 with So Bielitsa, Iguodala, Damian Lee has been really good. Gary Trent, the second. I mean, Gary Payne, the second, has yeah, been really good. Really good. Oh, they I, have a lot of guys that can step in, and I just, I, I just, just don't think feel that like, on the bench, Clay probably is much better suited. I, I don't. I, I'll just say this, and, and then we can move on. Yeah. I think that Clay Thompson has made his impact felt too much on the basketball court for them not to at least give him the opportunity to start a game or two, to, at, at the minimum upon his return to see. All right, is he still this defensive specialist? Is he still this knockdown three point shooter that we all have no doubts? He will continue to be. He is a better shooter than Jordan Poole. Yeah, no doubt. By far. And a more consistent shooter than Jordan Poole. Yeah, no doubt. We've seen Jordan Poole have really great moments these last two games, 31 and 25 points respectively. He's been very, very good. But we've seen those stretches in yeah, between. Yeah, where he's played really bad. Where he's been mid. I can tell you for sure, Klay Thompson will, will be at, at the minimum consistent in his points per game. Jordan Poole has been excellent defensively for sure. But we don't know what Klay Thompson is going to be until he comes back and shows us. So with that being said, off name and respect alone, Clay will start. But what you're saying, at first it's crazy, it's a crazy thought because obviously Clay Thompson's Clay Thompson and what he means to Golden State is significant. That being said, the what has what Jordan Poole has been doing and what the Golden State Warriors have been doing together, it's not that crazy once you really think about it. Uh, I was going to ask you guys, a similar player that was coming off those injuries, obviously with a different type of game, was John Wall. John Wall still averaged 22-7 and seven last year. Inefficiently. He didn't look that bad, though. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't look that bad off those injuries. Now, their games are... he's not going to have to do what John Wall has to do. No, he's John not. Wall had a, an Achilles, though. He didn't have an ACL as well. Yes, he did. John Wall tore his ACL and his, and his Achilles. It, it, I think... I think it was meniscus. Look it up. I, I, I know he had a very bad knee injury, and then he fell in the shower and tore his Achilles. I think yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. it was. But I know he was coming off two pretty significant injuries. And pull up his stats for me, because I don't know if he was that inefficient as, as Joel said he was. Who you're saying, John Wall? Yeah. Last season? Yeah. It's just last season, he just had to do an absurd amount because yeah. obviously he was on the Rockets. That's the thing. The, the last time we saw Klay Thompson play basketball, Kawhi Leonard was on the Raptors. Um, JC, you put your bone out for a little bit. Uh, the last time we saw Klay Thompson play a basketball game, Kawhi Leonard was on the Raptors. Jimmy Butler was on the Sixers. The NBA was completely different. AD was in a Pelicans uniform. He's had two career-ending injuries, substantial injuries, an ACL injury and an Achilles injury. If I'm Golden State, I tell Klay Thompson, look, for the betterment of the team, come off the bench. Like Iguodala did in 2015 where he took a lesser role for us to be championship contenders. 
Klay Thompson off the bench makes the most sense because I think Jordan Poole right now is a better playmaker. He's a better facilitator. He can spot up shoot not as good as Klay, but offensively he offers more than Klay. And I'm just predicting that Jordan Poole is a better defender than Klay Thompson coming off of two substantial injuries. Klay Thompson off the bench taking that reduced role, at least for this season, just to get your just to get your okay. body back mm-hmm. under you, I think makes the most sense. Go to state. They already have the best net rating in the NBA without Clay. They are already a threat and championship contenders without Clay. So Clay, whether he starts or comes off the bench, they're still contenders. So, but I just think off the bench with Iguodala off the bench and Bielitsa and a Damian Lee or you know and an Auto Porter, it makes much more sense because just imagine a bench of Clay Thompson, Auto Porter, forty percent three point shooters with Iguodala facilitating, Damian Lee. playing defense, Damian Lee, Gary Payne the second coming to get some minutes with Bielitsa as a facilitator. You can get Clay into into their spots, and I think it, it'll be. He'll get exposed less on the bench. They won't target him because I think in the start of lineup, teams are going to try to target Clay because he's coming off of those injuries. I think given the fact that Jordan Poole has been playing so great, let's say Clay does start, he'll probably be looking at, I wouldn't say like a DeAndre Jordan where DeAndre Jordan will, will start the game and he'll get 10 minutes. But I think for the first week, two weeks, we'll see a, a 15 to 20 minute, m- minute restriction where Jordan Poole's still playing a good portion of the game. So we won't see him getting as you know, targeted as he probably will become later on in the season if if he's really getting up there in minutes per game. But given the fact that Jordan Poole has been playing so great, I don't have a concern with the transition that they will have in terms of substitutions. You understand what I'm trying to say there? Jordan Poole, he's already had that role off the bench for them. So now you you bring in Clay. Jordan Poole still has this confidence within him that, listen— I know what I can do when I have the ball in my hands. It doesn't matter if I'm off the bench on in the starting lineup. It's Clay Thompson. It's not a disrespect thing, because I know yeah. when once Clay's not here, it's my time. That's a great point because Jordan Poole and thinking about it now, Jordan Poole off the bench, Golden State. Damian Lee is good, but he's not a creator. No, for sure. Gary Payne is good. He's not a creator. Jordan Poole is a creator, Definitely. and he can be that creator off the bench where Clay is not a creator either. He has to be with other creators for him, his game to shine. And Steph is the ultimate creator, and that's why they've been so successful together. So I can understand that. But if I'm Golden State, I just think about a bench that features Clay Thompson with Iguodala and Bielitsa, and I go, man. It's intriguing. If somebody, if Clay comes off the bench, because they're already great, the star lineup is already great. Clay could come off the bench for that extra punch and firepower. It, it's a scary sight. It's it, a scary it sight for any team to go up against. Clay's young still, though. You know, I'm still holding out hope. How He's he? 31 years old. He, for sure, ACL Achilles is scary. He's still Clay Thompson. And until I see otherwise while he's on the court, I can't yeah. address him otherwise uh, as being anything lesser until I see it. If we watch the first week and defensively, he's a little bit slow. He's not the same. It's expected. We're expecting yeah. that. But it's in terms of how drastic it's going to be. You know what else though? I had I had a thought of the other day that I I tweeted out this too, at uh, Joel V Moran. If you guys want to look at my tweets on Twitter, what's your middle name? Vladimir. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like cost. T- okay. Like cost okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Steph Curry. I don't know why people still think he's a bad defender. He's a good defender. He's a really good defender. He is a good defender. He's just undersized. That's why he's undersized. But he's six three. 
I mean, in terms of like big body, I think he's, he's gotten stronger. He's gotten way stronger. I could see the, I could see a notable difference in his physique now. He's gotten yeah, stronger. He's always been a pretty good defender, though. I, I think that people try, people overblow that narrative that he's not a good defender. I think he's a good defender, and this year it's showing up. He's not an elite one or a no. great one, but. He's not a liability. He's not a liability he on defense. A liability. People, not at all. people talk about Steph like he's a liability on defense. They talk about him like he's he was not Isaiah a liability Thomas. on defense. Like five nine. They talk about him like he was five nine. Isaiah Thomas can. It's stop just always anybody. that Clay Thompson was a better defender than he was, and so obviously he took yeah, that assignment. But Steph is not a liability on defense. He's playing an excellent defense. Yeah, this to season. call him a liability is a little bit strong. He's just and he's been playing excellent defense for the past couple of seasons. As he well. definitely has. It's just in terms of like I said, size. I just, just you know what's the difference right too. Over the top I, I think the difference is like. For example, my favorite player is James Harden. When you watch James Harden play, you can tell. Defensively, there is minimal effort. Yeah. Like, yeah, even yeah. when he gets stops, there is minimal effort. <laughs> yeah. With Steph, maybe he's not stopping guys. Yeah. But the effort is there. His mm-hmm. hands are active. He's talking. He's communicating. He's he's active. Harden isn't active. Yeah. And I think Steph, he's not a liability. He gives his effort. He contests. He does the most he can, and I think that narrative has to stop because he's actually a really yeah, good defender. I feel like a perfect example of that would be the 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 play-in game where Curry and LeBron, obviously Curry's playing excellent defense, does literally everything he can do. LeBron, LeBron just is just able to shoot it over the top of him because that's just that's just a disadvantage Curry has, truthfully. Side. I mean, I mean, if you've been watching, you've been watching for years, you know, when Klay Thompson was playing, when it was a Splash Bros when they were present, you saw a lot of teams targeting Steph Curry, trying to get the screener. To set a screen on Steph Curry to get him, that, that I feel like that's what the like majority of people who watched the game saw that they were picking on Steph. And I mean, obviously Steph is an inferior target compared to Clay Thompson and Draymond Green. But if you were watching, you know Steph Curry, he's he was usually always there. You know, had a solid contest. He's not like he's not somebody who you have to hide on defense. I don't think you have to hide him on defense, like Damian Lillard or Steph Curry defensively. Steph, Steph Curry, Curry easily by Curry. far, by far. Steph Curry, yeah. The Raptors right now are on a hot streak. Well, they're not on a hot streak because they just lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Good game. And how fitting, right? How fitting that we make a video about our top five rookies. A week later, they face off Scotty versus Mobley. And Mobley, at least on the stat sheet, outplayed Scotty because I think Scotty outplayed Evan Mobley. Watching the game, I thought his impact was much greater. But to each their own, everybody has a difference of opinion. But the Raptors, they have been really good. They are 6-4 and four right now. They could have beat Cleveland. It was a one-point loss. If Scotty had maybe put a little bit more off into the ball, he would have got that well, tipping. Cl- Cleveland had the lead for five seconds of the game. The yeah. entire game, and it was the last five Almost seconds. Almost wire to wire. Insane. The Raptors have the be- the eighth-best defensive rating this season and hold opponents to the fifth-fewest points in the league right now. And I saw a glimpse of that when I was watching the Raptors and Knicks game. I mean, not only did Gary Trent and OG go off offensively, but defensive, defensively they are everywhere. Because they have so much length, it feels like you don't have a slither of open space. They get after it, but we know this from Nick Nurse coach teams. They are like this. But what do you make of the Raptors' hot start? Why do you think they have been rolling so much? And Siakam is coming back against the Nets on a minutes restriction. So what do you think they'll be once Siakam comes back? I'll start with you, Drew. So the Raptors have looked very good. And the biggest the biggest part of their game that we were all high on was going to be their defense. That addition to Scotty Barnes, 
what we what I have been most impressed is that Scotty's been able to have as much impact offensively as he's had because that was the biggest question mark about his game coming into the season. What was his impact going to be on the scoring slash offensive side of the ball? And he's put that to bed. I think he's averaging what around like 16, 18. 18 points is spectacular. Last night he was a little bit inefficient, or what was it? Two nights ago, last night. Regardless, he was a little bit inefficient, but he still is active defensively. He is he is as advertised. He is an excellent defender. You look at what Federico's been doing. You look at the impact that OG Ananobia has had on this team and the leap that he's taken this year, averaging over 20 points this season. He's been amazing. I just think in terms of their hot streak, let's look at this five-game win streak. Indiana, Orlando, Indiana, New York, Washington. I'll give them the respect. Washington has been playing okay, so that Toronto win was valid. That game against uh, the Knicks, the Knicks are obviously a primetime team in this league. That's valid. Obviously. Indiana, Orlando, Indiana. As much as I like Indiana, Indiana hasn't been off to the greatest of starts recently. And obviously Orlando is arguably the worst team in the East, given the fact that they still do play hard. Pistons are up there, truthfully, even though they've been... Pistons are worse than Orlando. They've been very disappointing. But I'm not looking too deep into their schedule because defensively they have been excellent. I think they've let up 100 points, what, twice one, two, three. Uh, they've given up 100 points, but just over 100 points. They haven't given up anything egregious like 120, 115. The most they've given up this season is 109 points, and that was to Orlando, which is ironically one of the worst teams in the league. So I got to give them the respect. And once Pascal Siakam comes, that's just another addition to their team uh, offensively scoring-wise that they that I wouldn't say they desperately need, but it's one of those things that definitely could be more beneficial. The only person averaging over 20 points for them is OG Ananobi right now, but you still have Fred VanVleet averaging just under 19 points. You have Scotty Barnes averaging just under 18 points. Uh, Gary Trent Jr., who has been a pest defensively, I think he's averaging over two steals a game. I, he's averaging actually three steals a game. He's been very active with his hands. He's been stellar defensively. That trade for Norman Powell, the Blazers must be kicking themselves for that because Gary Trent really has just been excellent. I don't know. Norman Powell has been really good for he's them, been, too. He's been solid, but defensively, Gary Trent, I I just think... I think Norman Powell is better defensively. <sighs> I Norman Powell is a really good defender. I think he's better he is a solid defender, but in terms of giving you extra possessions, the, the speed, the athleticism, his still his ability to shoot the basketball, Norman Powell is a very good player, but Gary Trent's younger. He's... He fits. That's really the only thing I, ha- I he has, and he fits the. Skin. He's younger. That's yeah. it. It's close, but it, it, Blazers also what didn't they? It was a oh, two for one, two for one deal, something like that. It was a win now move for them getting um Norman Powell, yeah, which, which is really they're about the same player. I don't know. Except I thought they're, they're different. They're, they're in the different. same tier. They're in the same Gary, tier. Gary, he's Trent, a little bit bigger. That's no, all. Gary Gary Trent Jr. is a spot up shooter. He can create occasionally, but he hoists up a lot of shots, and he's. He has a big splash like he did against the Knicks, or he, you know, is he's a volume shooter. That's what he is. He's a volume scorer. And Norman think- Powell, he's a better ball handler than Gary Trent Jr. I think his spot-up shooting, at least as of recently, has been just as good, and he's a smarter player than him offensively, I think. And defensively, I think he's better than him as well. Gary Trent Jr., I really just think he has the age. That's all I think he has on Norman Powell. Three steals a game, though, is not something that's that I'm going to That's actually overlook. leading the NBA. Three steals? Really? Yeah, I, thought Jimmy, I thought Jimmy was up there, too, because Jimmy has just Jimmy's been a ball too. That's crazy. Gary Trent's been really good. But then, obviously, we obviously haven't seen Siakam come to, play, to, to take part in this mix, either. 
my biggest question would be how it would impact Scotty Barnes's play, truthfully, because I feel like without Siakam, it's been allowing one other person to get more scoring opportunities. I feel like Barnes has been beneficiary of that. Once Siakam comes in, that's where I, I felt as if Barnes coming into the season would be more of the the power, the point forward type thing where he's facilitating the offense. Mm-hmm. Really hasn't been like that. Federico's been doing all right in, in that sense, truthfully. OG Ananobi has been very special with the ball in his hands. So I just think that if I'm looking at the starting lineup right now and who would ha- take probably the biggest hit, I think it would be Barnes. But in terms of obviously who you want to develop and have your as be one of the cornerstones of your squad. I'm sure they're looking at Barnes and they want him to be that guy. So I don't think it would be beneficial for them to do that. I just see it happening. But mm-hmm. I don't I don't think that it's a, a a fluke. I mean, you lose this game against Cleveland, it hurts. That's a stinging loss for sure. But I think defensively, as long as you play hard every single night like we saw with the Knicks last season, they were one of the best top 3 defensive teams in the league and it brought them to the playoffs and they were extremely high seed. It's not impossible that we see it again with the Raptors, given the fact that they play amazing defense night in, night out, yeah. and they're doing this without arguably their best offensive score. Um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I mean, the, their strong start has kind of caught me a little bit off surprise just because the emergence of Scotty Barnes. I felt like with him, it like he, uh, with him with his emergence, it just makes them more of a like a, a more competitive team, a team that if they're clicking on all cylinders if Siakam can come back that's maybe a team that could surprise somebody with a first round win just because they're coached so well but um this Raptors team is is a top 10 in offense they're number 10 in offense and then defensively they're ranked number five on defense so they get after it defensively um OG Ananobi's been excellent this year I saw a game when when he played the Knicks he had like what 36 points Yeah, 36 you can just see he's got offensively he's gotten better he's starting to hit the pull-up now he attacks the baskets always been a good shooter good defender you have a rookie who's giving you about 18 and 9 a game, looking like the rookie of the year, like the Raptors fans are saying, looking really great. But, I mean, just look look at this team across the board. OG's giving you 21. Fred's giving you 19 and 7. Scotty's giving you 18 and 9. Gary Trent's giving you 15 points with 3.1 steals a game, which is leading the NBA. This team is top 10 in fast break points, so they like to get after it on the break. Rebounds per game, they're a very good rebounding team. Offensive points per game, they're top 10 in that. They're top 10 in steals. They take care of the basketball. They don't turn it over. And they're top 10 in blocks because of the length that they have all over the court. Now, if you add Pascal Siakam for for, for throughout his career, has been maybe a 19, 20, 21 points per game score. I think that could only help. Um, the only issue that I have is I agree with you. I don't know if the, the addition of Pascal Siakam will take away a little bit from um, Scotty Barnes offensively. But if Nick Nurse can somehow make them play in the same rotation together and make them get equal amount of touches, you know, work around that barrier of like, oh, a 20 points per game score is coming back. Scotty's going to take a bar- uh, uh, Scotty Barnes is going to take a hit offensively. I think if he can work that out, this team can be really, really good. Um, the emergence of OG, like I said, he's been terrific on both sides of the ball. I just like this team. And with the, the addition of Scotty Barnes, just – I mean, would you guys call Toronto a young team still? They are a young Yeah, team. they're young. With the additions of Scotty Barnes, I think that they're one of the best young cores in the NBA. And I think they have that experience from Fred Van Vliet, people who've been there, Pascal. You mix it with the young guys, I think that this team is primed to have a really good season. Hopefully they keep it up. And my prediction is don't be surprised if they get to the playoffs and somehow upset one of these. Like, if they get to, like, the 5 to 6 seed, don't, don't be surprised if they can upset somebody. Yeah, they're disciplined. It bothered me when I saw how much mean comments we got on our last top five rookies videos from Raptors fans 
saying that my co-host didn't know anything about basketball because I picked Scotty as my number one rookie, but y'all picked Evan Mobley, but it was a close race. And it bothered me because these are the same Raptors fans that didn't want Scotty. These are the same Raptors fans that would have taken Evan Mobley 10 times out of 10 if it's between Evan Mobley and Scotty at the time of the draft. Neither here or there. Let's talk about the Raptors. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Pascal Siakam is going to be a great addition. He averaged 21-7-4 last season. And I don't think Scott is going to take a hit. I don't. And the guy who I think is going to really take a hit. Gary Trent. No, it's Precious. I'm benching Precious. That's obvious. I'm benching Precious. I mean, he got 18 minutes last game. It's like that's Yeah, but he's starting. He's starting, but... Siakam's gonna come in like that's he not. averages twenty five minutes per game. No, I understand that, but he's only in that scenario because or in this situation because obviously Siakam's not there. No, he's only in that situation because he's their only center outside of Ken Burch. For sure, uh, and Boucher who's getting no burn. Boucher's not a center. I understand. He's but, a wing. But, yeah. uh, uh, he's a forward wing. Precious listed as a, a power forward as well, and he's still getting the start. But he's a center. You know, it's just he's undersized. If I'm the Raptors, Nick, if I'm Nick Nurse, Precious is getting benched. And Precious is getting benched because he can't shoot. He's not a good passer. He's a great energy hustle player like a Kenneth Freed. I've made that comparison dozens of times. But he gets lost on defensive rotations way too often. And I'd play Siakam at the five. Like, why Why wouldn't I, no you doubt. know? He's 6'9", six, 6'10". Six, He's just as tall as, as Precious. He offers more spacing. You still get that defense versatility. I'd start Siakam, I'd bench Precious, no and I'd probably take Precious' minutes all the way and give them to Ken Burch and so he can still play the amount that he plays. I think the Raptors with Siakam, before the season I called them a play-in playoff team, I'm still there. I don't think they'll be a top-five seed in the East. I don't think they'll be one of the best teams in the East. I do think this is a team still growing that doesn't have a true star. Like, yeah, they have Siakam as an all-star. OG is growing into an all-star caliber player, but they don't have a true star. They don't have an R.J. Barrett. They don't have Julius <laughs> oh Randle on their, OG's on their on team. Level. They don't have an R.J. or Julius Randle on their team. And I know they're going to come on here with these comments like, well, we beat the Knicks eat without Siakam and without a... I don't, I don't, I don't think Scotty played either. He didn't. But it doesn't matter. You know, Knicks played down to the competition. You should know that. Knicks played down to the competition. It's evident as of right now in the regular season. But the Raptors are a playoff team. I think they're going to make the playoffs, especially when you see teams like Atlanta still trying to figure themselves out. They're struggling right now. I told you guys it was going to happen. Teams usually struggle after that East, after that conference finals appearance, but neither here or there. I would start Fred, Trent, OG, Scotty, Siakam. The thing about Scotty is I think he won't take much of a hit because he plays within the flow of the offense. Definitely. He doesn't rely on usage to get to where he get to get his baskets. You know, a lot of his buckets are in transition, you know, or in a half court set, I get the ball mid range pull up or their putbacks on the roll. He rolls a lot and he finishes like that. So I don't think it'll affect Scotty that much. I think this team is pretty much going to be similar to what they have already been. Just have that extra scoring punch and defensive versatility with Siakam now in the lineup. And first game against the Nets, that's a huge test. He's going to be on a minutes restriction, but that's going to be that's going to give us a glimpse of how they're going to look. Boucher, you're right. He's not getting much minutes because 
he is a player that doesn't fit the Raptors. I think he's probably going to get traded soon. We'll see to where, but interesting. It's going to be interesting to see where he does go. And we'll really see what the Raptors are made of of their next three game stretch. They play Bo- uh, they play Brooklyn, they play Boston, and they play Philly. Obviously, people are down on Boston right now, but nevertheless, that's still a challenge. They obviously just handled Miami. Brooklyn is a, is a primetime team in the in the East, still obviously championship contenders as long as you have Kevin Durant on your squad. And Philadelphia is number one in, in the East as it stands right now. So if you take you take two out of the three of those games, people got to start looking at the Raptors like they're the real deal. Mm-hmm. If they lose all three of these games, obviously, without a doubt, people are going to go revert right back to their ways of just completely overlooking Toronto. But they take two out of the three here. I'm I'm really taking note of the Raptors, overlooking Toronto. How? In t- I'm not in t- overlooking in terms of before the season started, not many people were high on the Raptors, but now that they've won a, a bunch of games, people are really starting to be interested in what the Raptors have to offer and and their squad as currently constructed. You go and you beat Brooklyn. You go and you beat the number one seeded Philadelphia 76ers. People really will start to say, okay. We can't sleep on the Raptors. Defensively, they're elite. Offensively, they're doing more than enough to, to win basketball games. And they beat two of the three primetime teams in the East. That's going to be something that gets respect for sure. You mentioned the Raptors are a team that gets often overlooked. A team that gets overlooked a lot as well are the Minnesota Timberwolves because they usually aren't very good. Since their 3-1 and start, they have lost four in a row to the Nuggets, to the Magic, to the Clippers twice at home. They haven't won a game at home yet. They're 0-5 at home, 3-5 and in total. All of their losses have come at home. And on Twitter, Carl Anthony Towns liked the tweet that showed free cat. And then he said he was hacked. And <laughs> he changed his Twitter password and said, we're all good over here. But one, do you believe that he was really hacked? And two... What do you think this means for Minnesota and their slow start? Do you think they'll figure it out? They're going on a road, a, 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 a flurry of road games right now against some tough teams. So I don't know if they'll figure it out. But what do you think? I'll start with you, JC. Uh, for starters, I don't believe him. Uh, I don't believe that he was hacked. Question. He liked the tweet. Yeah. That's it. That's he liked he the did. tweet. Yeah. And that's all that he said that that's why he was hacked? Yes. Yeah. Oh my that's why I don't believe him. So. I don't. So for that question, if I believe him or not, I don't believe him. But what I will say is, for the most part, I don't blame him. Um, so far, I mean, it's pretty safe to say that. Well, I don't want to say it's safe to say, but it's pretty. It, it seems like it's trending in that direction where they won't be the fifth seed, like Joel predicted. <laughs> Maybe it won't even be the eighth seed or the playing team, like I predicted. They've fallen off. We'll see if they could turn that around. But I mean, if you just look at this franchise history over the years, when Cat. You know, when he was present as a player, his rookie year, they went 16 and 66. The next year, they followed 29 and 53. The year after that, 31 and 51. The next year, they got Jimmy Butler. They had all that turmoil, made the playoffs, got gentlemen swept by your man, James Harden. Next year, 36 and 46, 19 and 45. Last year, 23 and 49. And this year, 3 and 5. I feel like Carl Anthony Towns, you know, as a as a as a as an NBA player, you get tired of like losing. You, you, that's just you get tired of it. I mean, Minnesota's been an organization where they've dealt with this in the past with somebody like Kevin Garnett, who was a generational talent, one of the best power forwards ever. Difference between KG and Cat is KG took his team to the playoffs. 
would win a round or two, but the team was never constructed enough to win a championship. He ended up leaving, won a championship. When he won that championship, his career was viewed a little, I mean, differently. I think he should have won finals of MVP. That's a discussion for another day. But I feel like I, I can't I can't help but think about that with Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, this is a guy from when he came into the NBA, won Rookie of the Year, and since then has been putting up all-star numbers. And he's a player that hasn't gotten the respect that he deserved because this team, this franchise, the history tells you it's not good. It's a losing franchise. This year, they're off to a 3-5 and five start, like Joel alluded to, their own 5 at home. I feel like Carl Anthony Towns, in a way, is like, okay, I've been losing almost every year of my career here. I've only made the playoff once. I stunk it up in the playoffs. I'm not getting the respect I deserve, even though I'm putting up these phenomenal numbers. I need to get out of here. And I kind of agree with them. If you've been losing since you came into the league, you had that one playoff push with Jimmy Butler. The team broke up. You guys made it like you guys lost in five to Houston. No, it, it was no big deal because everybody picked Houston to win that series. But I, I, I kind of I feel for him and I agree with him. I've been a fan of Carl Anthony Towns' game. I've always, I mean, there's been times where I probably said some outlandish things saying that I thought, I mean, obviously it's not true now. You say but he was better than Jokic. Before, I used to think he was better than Jokic offensively. Shooting-wise, he's one of, if you look at the percentages, statistics, the threes he makes, he's, he's one the of the best shooters. He's, he's, one, the best he's one of the best big man shooters yes, of all time if you sure. look at the percentages. So, I mean, I don't blame him just because the track record of this team has been so bad. And this year, you're going into a season, D'Angelo Russell hasn't really been playing well. Um, you guys are 0-5 at home. You guys lost four straight. You guys are 3-5. and It's looking like it's trending in that same season, that same Minnesota season where, oh, my God, you know, we're not making the playoffs. We're going to lose probably another rebuilding year if they don't get their act together right. So I don't believe him. I, I believe that he probably liked that tweet. I believe that he didn't think people would probably go through his likes to search him liking those type of tweets. But I don't blame him. You look at the tracker, you look at all the games they've lost, you look at the amount of success that he's had with this franchise, with these players, it's really not a match made. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets traded soon. I wouldn't get surprised if he requests a trade soon. Just because, I mean, I mean, I, I just see this as like a similar to a Kevin Garnett situation. Obviously, Garnett was winning more, but you have a talented big and you guys don't really do anything with him. He's wasting his the prime years of his career on this team. He's still pretty young. He wants to play winning basketball. In this league, you're remembered if you win. So I I, I don't blame him. I think pretty soon Carl Anthony Towns is either going to request a trade or he's going to get traded. I mean, Cat should be pissed off. And his last time having a winning season, well, only time having a winning season in the NBA was a 17-18 season. Minnesota won 47 games. You look at his teammates that he had at that time. Jimmy Butler. He's now on one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Andrew Wiggins, he's now on one of the best teams in the Western Conference. Jeff Teague, who knows where he's at. But Taj Gibson's on the Knicks. He's he's in his hometown. He's loving it. You know, who doesn't like playing for the Knicks? Everybody does. Bialitsa came off the bench. He's with Wiggins in Golden State. Gorky Zhang playing for Atlanta. Derrick Rose playing on the Knicks. Everybody on that 17-18 Minnesota team that was a pivotal part of their success now is in a great situation outside of Cat. Cat is in another rebuild, and I saw his post game after the loss to the Clippers, and he talked about how they have to get out of this losing streak funk because a three-game, four-game losing streak can easily turn into a 16-game losing streak, especially Minnesota. He said 
I've been here long enough to know that it stretches out that far. And that's what we got to get a hold of it right now. I can't say anything bad about Cat. Like, I think what he, you know, obviously he liked the tweet. I don't believe him one bit. He wasn't hacked. Everybody knows you're not. As an athlete, you know people are going through your like tweets all the time. That's why, you know, even me, I'm not famous, but I keep, you know, I'll make sure my like tweets are in pocket. My my like tweets are, are how can I say this? You monitor them Pre- very closely. Presentable to the public. All right. Right? I'll make sure they're, they're presentable to the public. Cat is leading the Wolves in four or five statistical categories. He's having close to a 50... He's shooting 50% from the field, 40% from three, averaging 23 and nine. The problem with the Wolves lies in the fact that defensively, they're inconsistent, right? The, and Kat mentioned it that in all the games that they've lost, it's because they have let up in the second half defensively versus Orlando when they lost against them. They gave up 43 points in the fourth quarter versus Jeez. the Clippers. They gave, they gave up 45 in the third. Granted, when they faced the Clippers at home the last time they played them, they didn't give any 40-point, even 30-point quarters up. But offensively, they just couldn't get going. In the third and fourth quarter, they scored 15 points and 12 points against the Clippers. They couldn't get it going. The biggest problem with the Timberwolves is D'Angelo Russell. He's their biggest problem. Not only because he can never stay on the court, but also... He's not a point guard. They are trying to make him be a point guard, but he's not that. He's an inefficient, shot-chucking, volume scorer. He's averaging 14.8 points per game, 4.5 assists, 3.2 turnovers, shooting 36% from the field and 29% from three, and right now he has an ankle injury. He hasn't been playing these last couple of games. Patrick Beverly is averaging more assists than D'Lo. If you're a starting point guard, there's no way Pat Bev should be averaging more assists than you coming off the bench. That's just ridiculous. Anthony Edwards still has to be more efficient. And and that four spot with Vanderbilt, McDaniels, they, they have to get a solid four that can be consistent every single night. I said this before and I'll say it again. The Wolves need to trade for Ben Simmons. And they need to trade D'Angelo Russell for him. That's it. Ben Simmons can solve Minnesota's problems. Defensively, he can solve them. Offensively, him being the point guard, facilitating the offense, he can do a great job in that and just setting the pace of the game up. D'Lo can't do that. He's a two-guard in a in a point guard's body. He's not a point guard. Brooklyn got rid of him. Golden State got rid of him because he didn't fit there. Now Minnesota... They should get rid of him. He's not their guy. And if they don't, if Minnesota doesn't fix this soon, I agree. Free cat because he's stuck in a horrible situation. Again. And I hope they figure it out. But right now, it's not looking good because there are too many things you can pick apart that they don't do well. So I'll get away with the obvious. Yes, he did not get hacked. It's simple as that. He definitely liked the tweet. Now on to the actual topic at hand. I don't want Carl Anthony Towns to leave. I think that Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns is a very great duo. But as Joel alluded to, they need a point guard. And D'Angelo Russell is not a point guard. And Carl Anthony Towns can only be so good. And the fact that he, this season, is third in usage rate on the Timberwolves right now is absolutely ridiculous. He's by far and away their best player. Anthony Edwards 
yes, he is very great. He's averaging just under, I think, a point less than than Carl Anthony Towns. But that being said, Carl Anthony Towns is, with all intents and purposes, their best player. It's inexcusable that he's third in usage rate. So I can understand where he has or why he is frustrated. You mentioned the laundry list of losing seasons that the Timberwolves have had and that he's been a part of. I understand if if I'm a if I'm a guy like Anthony Davis who was fed up, tired of losing. He made the playoffs one time and I think he got past the first round, but then he did he did end up getting swept by Golden State. You get tired of losing eventually. Yes, you are the guy and and the responsibility lies on your shoulders and you get the blame when you lose, but you get the blame when you win and it's always so great when you win, but when it's few and far in between, you get tired of hearing the noise truthfully. So it makes sense for Carl Anthony Towns to leave because, like you mentioned, also all those guys that was on that seventeen eighteen roster are gone and on a different unit now and are having success elsewhere. And you still have Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota that's struggling yeah. to to make the play in now that it's been enforced. I think that Carl Anthony Towns needs to stick it out because I do believe Anthony Edwards and him are a very dynamic duo in the terms of both of them can shoot. Very efficiently. You don't have it very often where you have your big man being a 40% three-point shooter, but also is defensively more than solid, more than capable of holding his own this year at least, for sure. I look at Anthony Edwards and his dynamic, uh, what he brings. He's able to shoot the basketball at a high clip. He could be a little bit more efficient for sure, like you alluded to. Way more efficient. But nevertheless, still aggressive, still has the confidence within himself to still go get a buck and never shies away from the moment that that one piece away. And it's a point guard. And that Ben Simmons scenario that you mentioned is absolutely perfect because Ben Simmons is is that that missing piece defensively. They need a defensive player. And Patrick Beverly is a short Ben Simmons, essentially. But they can shoot the ball a little bit better for sure. But he's not that type of facilitator that Ben Simmons is. They need a real, true point guard. And right now, D'Angelo Russell, you can't really count on him regardless of... When he's on the court, sure, he's D'Angelo Russell and he's a great scorer. And this year, he hasn't but been. this year, he's been very mediocre. And he's not the best facilitator of the basketball. You need to bring in a guy... Ben Simmons is asking a lot because obviously Ben Simmons is an all-NBA type player. One of the better point guards in our league, so... You put him on a team like this with Anthony Towns, excuse me, with Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns. Obviously, that makes them insane. But they just need to go and realize, come trade deadline, listen, we need an actual point guard that's going to get the ball and and put him Anthony Edwards in good uh, positions to score. We're going to need a point guard that's going to put Carl Anthony Towns in good positions to score the basketball. Until they do so, they're going to continue to lose. I actually heard that the reason that trade might not get done is because Daryl Morey, doesn't want D'Lo. Who wants D'Lo right now? You can't trust him. You can't you can't rely on him to be on the court. And when he's on the court, you don't know what D'Lo you're getting. Sure, the 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 we've seen what D'Lo can be when he's hitting on all cylinders. But when was the last time we saw that? 2018 in Brooklyn. It's been a minute. <laughs> so right now, if I if if I'm Daryl Morey, I'm not looking at at D'Angelo Russell as someone that I want right now. You're gonna have to be giving me a slew of draft picks and Malik Beasley. For me to to want to be interested in in D'Lo right now, Lee Beasley is another guy. He's been mid this year too. He has to play better. He played better last game, but he has to be consistent. Right now, he's shooting under forty percent from the field. He has to be better. And you know, Carlton Towns, he's losing in Minnesota, but somewhere that I think he probably win is DraftKings. You know, DraftKings, <laughs> the NBA is back, and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. 
Carl Anthony Towns could create a great lineup and win some money. A he, lot of money. You can bet $5, and then it, you can win $200 in free bets if you bet $5. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays. So maybe Cat is thinking about betting on his own game, Minnesota. He'd bet 20-plus oh, on himself. Okay. You know, I, you know, maybe bet on Edwards to hit three-plus threes. He could do that, I think so. And D'Lo, probably bet on him to get, you know, over two assists. I don't know. It could be somewhere around there because he's Take not much under of a passer. Points. But you can combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win because the odds get slimmer and slimmer the more you add. That's Obviously, yep. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If you win, they win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Timberwolves taking a lot of losses right now. Cat is a part of them. If he wants to start getting some wins, go to DraftKings Sportsbook. Get some wins. Start betting Feel against better Minnesota. Yeah. Bet against Minnesota. Money line <laughs> on the other team. This road stretch, they've been winning on the road, but now they got some good teams coming up. So, you know, definitely put the money line on those other teams if they're playing Minnesota, especially if D'Lo is not playing. Yeah, rough stretch of games. They got Memphis, Golden State, Los Angeles, both Los Angeles teams, Lakers and Clippers, Phoenix, and Sacramento, who's been playing very great as of late. Marcus Smart. He called out Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum the other day after they lost to Chicago because they blew a double-digit lead in the fourth quarter. And the quote is as goes. I would just like to play basketball. Every team knows we're trying to go to Jason and Jalen. Every team is programmed and studied to stop Jason and Jalen. I think everybody's scouting report is to make those guys pass the ball. They don't want to pass the ball. That's something they're going to learn. They're still learning. We're proud of the progress they're making, but they're going to have to take another step and find ways to not only create for themselves, but create for others on this team to open up the court for them. Later down in the game, when where they're always going to have to take those tough shots or take tough matchups when they get those one-on-one matchups or they, they bring a trap, it's something we've been asking them to do when they're learning. We just got to contribute to help those guys do that to help our team. So Smart called them out. Then they had a players-only meeting before they, they played Orlando. They beat Orlando. And just as recently, they beat Miami. A, a very commanding win against Miami as well. And Woj said that the meeting was emotional at times. But in the end, perhaps not a terribly productive meeting and maybe not even beneficial. So the meeting they had wasn't beneficial. So I don't know if we can credit the 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 Celtics playing better because of this, at least based on this Woj report. I'm not looking at and, and Jalen Brown also spoke on it and said that he didn't think it needed to be said. So he, you know, basically said, Mark Smart, we ain't really need that. Because he's being singled out, obviously. But since then, before those comments, Marcus Smart said the Celtics allowed 120 points per game. Since those comments, they held Orlando to 79 yep. and Miami to 78. And versus Orlando, Boston held them to 32% from the field, 21% from three. Versus Miami, 35% from the field and 22% from three. 
So do you think these comments help Boston play better? And are you now buying some stock into Boston moving forward? I think that this is exactly what they needed. Marcus Smart, what I said from day one when they re-signed him, was that you need a locker room presence. He is so essential to keeping this team together because of what he means in the locker room and just the, the small intangibles that he brings to the court. He's going to play hard every single time he's on the court. That that tough, hard-nosed type player, that's Marcus Smart. And obviously he isn't the most skillful player, but you need a player that is going to bring hustle night in, night out. And you can't rely on Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown to bring that hustle every night, but you can rely on Marcus Smart 82 games of the season to do that. And in terms of leadership, as great as Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are, they're not true leaders. I don't look at Jason Tatum, I don't look at Jalen Brown right now and look at them as team captains. That's Marcus Smart. And whether Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum like it or not, they needed someone to tell them, listen, you guys are all-stars, you guys are all-world, get it together. It's bigger than just you two. If we want to win, we got to do it as a unit. And Jalen Brown, obviously, he, he suffered that injury against Miami, and that definitely hurts because Jalen Brown has been absolutely eating. But Jason Tatum has been very, very spotty up until this, up, up at least up until this point in the season, averaging only 22 points per game. His efficiencies are, are all over the place. He's going to get it together eventually, but their struggles aren't due to his struggles as well. Because if Jason Tatum is cooking, this isn't even a question. They're going to obviously win more games than they have been. But they needed that locker room talk because defensively they have been liabilities every single night that they've played. Other than these last two nights that they actually had post uh, this conference with one another. They could say that uh, Woj's report saying that it wasn't really beneficial. And Jalen Brown coming out and saying that you know they really didn't have to be said because they're, that's one of the guys in question. Jason Tatum probably knows, listen, I'm not the best facilitator. I know that. But you look at Giannis, and Giannis shouldn't be one of the best facilitators on his team. But he is. Because he knows that he's going to get trapped every single time he gets that ball in the paint. He needs to make the smart decision and see the guy in the wing. See the open guy. Because when you're the best player, you draw the most attention. And all that means is that there's going to be someone open. Nine times out of ten, if if I'm Jason Tatum or I'm Jalen Brown and I have 25 points in a game, no duh, it's not a, 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 a question that I'm going to draw a double team. See the open guy. Jalen Brown averaging 2.5 assists is not going to get it done. Jason Tatum averaging under 4 assists is not going to get it done. They need to start seeing the guys, and I can understand where they could doubt their players because outside uh, of Jalen uh, Brown and Jason Tatum, Al Horford, I'll give him his respect, he's been playing excellent, especially at this point in time in his career. Averaging 13 and 10 is more than firm. Three blocks a game has been incredible. Dennis Schroeder averaging 13.3. He's been good because facilitating the basketball He's been very uh, a key piece to to their offense, averaging six assists a game. And obviously, you have Jason uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. It's going to be easy to get those assists. But he's given them a spark that they need because Marcus Smart, as much of a hustle player he is, as much as great as he is defensively, he's not a true point guard. And and Dennis Schroeder at least has done that for them. Marcus Smart, he may not be the best. Like I said, his numbers don't show that he's been stellar up until this point. Eight point eight, 8 uh, points per game. He hasn't been good. He hasn't been good at all. He's been very spotty. But you need still to have that type of presence in the locker room, regardless of where it's coming from. There's a reason Udonis Haslam still has a spot on that Heat roster. Because he's in the locker room. People look to him as someone that they could go to for knowledge, go to for for any type of thing in the game of, of outside of skill. Just you need someone to hold you accountable. And that's Marcus Smart. 
And so I don't mind these comments at all because clearly something happened that, that sparked them to have a change in, in their game. And I'm in on them. I think that this is going to, to, to spark a change because we haven't even seen Jason Tatum be Jason Tatum yet. Um, so uh, the reports were that the meeting didn't help. But, I mean, as of recently, the last two games, obviously it's not a big stretch. They're 2-1-0. They played great defense. They held down Miami, which I think was a very impressive win. I think that was a statement win for Boston. I think that's a win that they can build off of because they beat probably, in my opinion, a top-five team in the NBA. But um, I agree with Drew. Jason Tatum needs to step up. Jason Tatum this year is averaging 22.7 points per game on 37% field goal shooting percentage, shooting 27% from the three, shooting 74% from the free throw line, and his EFG percentage is 42%. I checked all of those. Those are all career lows, even dating back to his rookie season. So even his rookie season, he was way more, way more efficient than he is now. So I think this team will get better, start to take off when Jason Tatum plays better. I mean, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not gonna expect Jason Tatum to play this bad. This is a guy who I think, <laughs> I thought coming into this year he was gonna make a statement and be a top ten player. Obviously, that hasn't been the case now. I still think Jason Tatum's gonna turn this around. But another thing that's holding this Boston team back, me and Joel talked about it a while ago, and I actually agree with him. They don't have a true playmaker. They don't have a guy that can set these two scoring, you know, score first players up. Marcus Smart, we can all attest to this. He's not a true playmaker. Even Dennis Schroeder, I know he's averaging six assists per game, but he's not a true playmaker. He's not somebody that's going to get you in your sets. He's more of a score-first player. That's what he's been throughout his, for most of his career. So, um, yeah, I think that the the bad play stems on Jason Tatum's shooting percentage. The good thing about it all, though, is the last two games, Jason Tatum hasn't been playing well, but they have won. They have won. Two impressive wins. They played great defensively. If Jason Tatum can get you his 27, 28 points per game that he was getting you last year— on pretty good efficiency, along with the defensive effort that this team's giving you, I think that this team is much better than a 4-5 and five record. I think this is a team that can go anywhere from the 6-5 to five seed if everything's clicking on all cylinders. I would like to see them during the trade deadline make a trade for a traditional point guard, maybe like a Ricky Rubio, somebody who can run the sets. But I think this team, right now, off that players' meetings 2-0, and they're playing defense. I think they have a game tonight against Dallas. Let's see how they come out against Dallas, but... I think this team is trending towards the right path. That players only meeting has them playing defense. I would like to see Jason Tatum step up. He's better than these percentages. He's better than these averages. We all know he is. He's an all-star. We all consider him consider him a superstar. Jalen Brown's playing well. Al Horford's kind of had like a little revival in his career, averaging 14 points, 10 rebounds. He's leading the NBA in blocks, so he's playing well. So all this all these issues on offense just stem on Jason Tatum. I would like to see him become a little bit of a better playmaker and more efficient. And then we'll see where that takes them. And, you know, hopefully during the trade deadline, they can make a trade for a point guard that can set up these guys. If they have a playmaker, if they're playing defense and Tatum's playing better, this team can be a really good team. And real quick, no JB tonight. No. So we'll see Jason Tatum if he actually, you know, if if we, if it's Jalen Brown getting more opportunities and that's the reason why he's been struggling. We'll see that tonight. If Jason Tatum's, you know, Jason Tatum that we think he is, let him prove it tonight. Yeah. Well, Jason Tatum has career lows across the board because – this is the curse of the Laker. You know, he, he wore Lakers gear. As a Boston <laughs> Celtic, that's almost a sin. That's as bad as a sin. So because of that, Jason Tatum, you know, the basketball guys are punishing him 
for doing such a heinous act in crime. Stop it. You can't wear a Lakers jersey as a it's Boston Celtics. It doesn't matter. You can't wear a Lakers jersey as a Boston Celtic. It, yeah. That's the biggest <laughs> rivalry in basketball. So the basketball guys are are having Jason Tatum shoot poorly for the for a, a stretch of games. We'll see if he picks it up, but that's why he's playing bad. Marcus Smart speaking out to the media is like that meme you see where it's like worst person you know just made an excellent point. That's Marcus Smart because he's right. He's 100% right in what he's saying. Not in that instance. Versus the Bulls, Tatum and Brown passed the ball. They missed. Marcus Smart missed. They had open looks. They missed. Then then Smart alluded to, to uh, how he alluded to the fact that he can do more with the ball in his hands. You know, you know, he wants opportunities. He basically talked about how he can play make. He capped. No, you can't. <laughs> because we see you. When the ball is in your hands, you do nothing with it. You don't assist. You, you, you create more turnovers than anything. You shot chuck. You're just like these guys, but not as good. Because you want Marcus Smart wants to be like Tatum. He wants to be like Brown. He wants to be good enough to where he can he can hoist up 28 shots a game and not get any pushback. But he can't because he's not that good. He's not that good offensively. And defensively <laughs> this season, he hasn't been that great. I don't know if this player's only meeting helped them. Maybe they played better because they were pissed off at each other and they just had to get it out some way, somehow. But defensively versus the Heat. Watching their defense, Tatum, close to perfect. It was picture perfect, actually. Al Horford, his switches onto perimeter, he's been amazing. Robert Williams, his defense on perimeter has been amazing. They were clicking. They were rotating. They were all in sync, communicating with each other. I told you guys last episode I was all out on the Celtics. I still am. I, I don't feel like, you know, maybe... They'll figure out and make the playoffs. Maybe they'll do that. You know, if you're betting on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, you obviously are going to take that route. Are they going to do anything? No. You know, they're not going to do anything because there are still holes on this roster that need to be fixed. Schroeder is inconsistent. You can't really trust that bench. Marcus Smart is not a point guard. They need a true point guard, and they don't have one. And Jalen Brown already injured again. You know, how? who knows how long that's going to linger. And now... With the basketball gods curse on Jason Tatum, who knows how that's going to go because the basketball gods dictate what they're going to do. It's not up to us. It's not up to Tatum. He's going to play how he's going to play. I'm still out on the Celtics. You know, maybe they make the playoffs. You know, who knows? But I think Marcus Smart calling them out was probably needed because they were playing like complete garbage. Ime Udoka, who knows how he's as a coach. He's trying to get to these players. He's doing the best he can, but... It feels like these players just aren't receptive. You know, he's been coaching them tough. And some players like being coached tough. Some don't. You know, you can only really tell if you're in that locker room. I just don't get a great feeling about the Boston Celtics. Yes, they just won two games against the Heat. Very good team. And then Orlando, not that impressive. We'll see if they can keep it up. But I'm still not all in on the Celtics. I just feel like there's something about them that is... Making me push back on them. I'm just not a fan right now. I just think that once Jason Tatum cooks up, I think it'll be a lot easier to get on that Celtics bandwagon. Possibly so. Possibly so. But I can understand, obviously, Jason Tatum's... He's been horrendous. ...horrific in terms of us reviewing the normal Jason Tatum that we've become accustomed to. But 
I don't see him continuing no, these no terrible low efficiencies. Do I, I actually have another question? Do you think the change of the basketball has an impact on these players? It definitely does. Yeah. It's a different basketball. Yeah. It's been crazy to see how obviously there's oh, still George players. Said something about it the other day. Is it what is it? Is it something about like that with the weight of the basketball? They're saying it's more slippery. That's why you see a lot of shots get like more air balls. That's what Paul George said. You see a lot of shots missing left, right, because the balls it's just more slippery. It doesn't have as much grip as the last basketball. It's a Wilson basketball now. Yeah. Why did they suddenly change it? No clue. Sponsorship deals, probably more money. You never know. They need There's to a get an evil up reasons. there. <laughs> I, got, I feel like a Wilson basketball like that's been high school regulation, college to a degree now too. I, I, honestly, I've. I've only seen. I've had a Spalding official NBA ball before. I don't like how they feel. I've never had one. I feel like I, I can never find one. I've had one. I don't like how they feel. I, I like Wilson's, like Evos, way better. Evos are the best basketball. Evos are the best basketball. I love Evos. That being said, it's kind of crazy to me that we're but seeing. But they don't like, use it, Evos. No, no they, they don't. don't. They don't. They don't use Evos. It's really impacting their 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 shots, and I'm I'm surprised to be honest with you. I mean, they're they're NBA basketball players. You'd think that they would pick up any type of ball and still be able to hoop, but. We're seeing it really impact them. Yeah, yeah, Tatum, not RJ. <laughs> and we talked about early in the episode how the Raptors don't have a true star like a Randall or RJ. This season, we're seeing RJ Barrett take that third year leap. The leap that I thought he was going to take all along, I, I pushed back on a little bit because I saw how he was being used the first couple of games, and I couldn't believe it. We were winning, so I didn't care that much. But now, RJ... This is the first time in his career where he's had five straight games where he has had 20 points or more. 20 against the Bulls, 35 against the Pelicans, 27 against the Raptors, 23 against the Pacers, and 20 against the Bucks. He's averaging 19.2 points per game, 5.8 rebounds per game, 2.7 assists, shooting 47% from the field and 40% from three. The Knicks are 3-2 and two in those games. They have lost to the Raptors and Pacers. Like I said, the Knicks played down to their competition. And the question is, is RJ's increased offensive role hurting or helping the Knicks? And in my opinion, it's helping. It can only help them. I know we're 3-2 and two in those games where RJ has gone off, but... The reason for that is because the Knicks play down to their competition. I don't know what it is, but they just play down to their competition versus Orlando versus the Pacers. We lost those games at the Garden at home. Defensively, our energy isn't there. Randall, it feels like when he's not in the offense as much as he usually is, he's disinterested on defense and on offense. He kind of shrugs, and you can see the body language, and it's kind of contagious. The Knicks this year have the second-best offensive rating, the 21st-worst defensive rating, the eighth-best net rating. Kemba Walker, we know he's not a good defender, and I think the addition of him is making the team having to make up for, for him, right? Because the defensive scheme isn't as sound because these defenders aren't as good. I think Fournier has been giving fantastic effort. But teams hunt down Kemba and Randall. They put them in pick-and-roll situations. They hunt them down, and they get picked apart. Randall has not been that good of a defender this year as well. You know, if it wasn't for this big-time game against the Bucks where he had 30-plus, I'm talking about Randall completely differently today. 
But because he went off against them, I got to ease down. Even though in that game, I think Derrick Rose was a hero in that game. He was the reason we won that game. Like, I'm just going to say that straight right now. Absolutely. But the Knicks have to get better defensively, and I think they will because Tom Thibodeau is our coach. He's a defensive mastermind and genius. We have to stop playing down to our competition because, like Tibbs said, every team in the East is damn good. We can't take an off night against Cleveland. We can't take an off night against Indiana, against Toronto. We have to bring our A game every single night. And I think that's something that the Knicks aren't doing right now. But once we figure it out, we'll be fine. We'll be one of those top teams in the Eastern Conference. And there's still a lot of things wrong, right? Kemba, Julius getting attacked on the pick and roll. Emmanuel quickly hasn't shot well at all this season. But we'll figure it out. And R.J. Barrett improving this year and taking that third year leap is only going to make our ceiling that much higher. I'm glad that I'm sitting here talking about RJ averaging close to 20 instead of Kemba averaging close to 20 or Kemba averaging or uh, Forney averaging close to 20. I'm glad it's RJ because I told y'all he's a star in the making. He's going to be a star. There's no doubt about it. Number nine, going to get his jersey. We're going to the Knicks at next in Barclays. I'm wearing RJ's shirt out there. You know how it is. RJ Barrett all day. He's my guy. So I want to say it's a good and bad thing. I want to say it's a bad thing because you mentioned it. Their defensive rating has been sketchy uh, this season at least. And I say it's a bad thing because I don't want RJ using all his energy on, on offense and coming back defensively. And obviously, RJ is still amazing defensively, but he won't have that same drive that he would normally if he just has to focus on the defensive side of the ball. And we saw earlier in the season when he just focused primarily on defense, they were having success and they were winning games. So that's why I say it's a bad thing. Now, for the obvious reason why it's a good thing, you drafted R.J. Barrett, number three, to be the, the franchise-changing player that, that you guys were hoping he would be. And that breakout game, 36 points, what more could you have asked for, truthfully? That's just everything that Knicks fans have been dying to to see from R.J. Barrett. And he was phenomenal, and he's been phenomenal these last stretch of games. You want to see R.J. improve his jump shot. You want to see R.J. start taking it to that right hand. You want to see R.J. start being aggressive, driving the basketball to the hoop, not being afraid to go to the line. Once he starts getting that confidence, then it will be a much more seamless transition of, all right, I'm going to be, I'm gonna still be the same defensive beast that I know that I am, one of the better defenders in the NBA, probably the, the best defender on my team, and still be able to go and get you 20 points per game. Because... When you're drafting number three, you still have that expectation on you. And Knicks fans are cutthroat. They, they want to see these guys that they draft at such a high position be the superstar players that we see other teams draft highly and still go in and, and average 24 or 25 points per game. R.J. Barrett, the, if he's going to continue to improve that jump shot, I'm, I do believe he could average 20 clean a season. We saw it last season. What did he average? 18 points per game, and that was without a consistent jumper and still a, a, a shaky right hand. Once he starts to become more confident in that right hand, once he starts to put the ball, the ball on the ground consistently, we'll start to see this R.J. Barrett that we've been seeing these last stretch of games, and that's only going to benefit the Knicks because right now you look at it as stands. They have Julius Randle, who's averaging 21 points per game. You have RJ averaging just under 20. Then after that, you have Fournier averaging 15, uh, D-Rose averaging 12, Kemba averaging 12, and after that, Alec Burks averaging 7. They need this offensive output. And it's a shame that it's going to cost RJ a little bit defensively, but as of right now, you need the offense. So why not just let RJ, if he's going to be hot, keep riding the hot hand? You got to, at this point at least, and it's only going to help his confidence. 
you're making good points, but I don't like that point you made about RJ not being as invested on the defense side of the ball. Okay. RJ is a dog. He is. He's going to be invested on both sides. Same. We don't want him to get a little bit R- tired. RJ. A lot he don't, to put he on don't his get shoulders. Tired. He All don't right. get tired. Right. It's RJ Barrett. Okay. Fair he enough. don't get tired. Um, so, um, are you going to be Riv and, and hate on RJ Barrett? Uh, I think RJ Barrett's a pretty good player. Um, I think that I think that it's acceptable for him to be the second scoring option. I mean, he was the number he was the number three overall pick. Obviously, right now Julius Randle is coming off that All NBA season. It's his team. He's still the best player on the team. But like I said, I think for this team to to go to the next level, you need RJ Barrett to give you nineteen twenty a game. The defense has been incredible this year, and. About that shooting point, R.J. Barrett shot forty percent from the three last year too. So he's he was a good shooter last year too. He's shooting what? What's his percentage from 40% three? Forty percent from three. So he's he's continuing that. Um, I don't think he's taken away from the Knicks uh, offense. I agree with you. I mean, they lost to the Raptors. They lost to the Magic. It's playing down to the competition. The Knicks are a good team. Um, but I agree with you. It's better having R.J. Barrett average at nineteen twenty points per game than it is for Evan Fournier than it is for Kemba Walker because then that would mean that they're exceeding their roles that I think was assigned for them. I think this team is built for Julius Randle to be the number one guy, but this team is built for R.J. Barrett to be the second option. And the reason I like those acquisitions in the offseason with Kemba and Evan Fournier is because if R.J. Barrett is playing at that level and you got Evan Fournier giving you 16, you got Kemba giving you 12, you got Derrick Rose giving you anywhere from 12 to 15 off the bench, this team's this team is really dangerous on all aspects of basketball, defensively, offensively. I'm not really worried about the defensive Rating in their rankings right now, Tom Thibodeau is a defensive guru, one of the best defensive coaches that this game has seen. I think the Knicks will turn it around. But, um, yeah, I, I like the fact that R.J. Bear is definitely averaging 20, 20 points per game this year. I think if this team, like I said, wants to be good, he has to continue that. I'm just, I want to see this scoring output along with defense into the playoffs. I want to see what this is going to do for the Knicks because last year he was an inconsistent second option in the playoffs and it showed Knicks couldn't really get anything going offensively with Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. First first time for R.J. Barrett in the playoffs. I think this year coming in, he's going to be much different. I like the fact that he's been improved defensively. He's been, I've been watching him defensively this season. He's absolutely locked in. He's young enough and has enough energy that I think he can give you 20 points per game and still lock in on the defensive end. I'm not really worried about that, but like, like I said, I, I agree I like R.J. Barrett being the second scorer of this team. It's fitting for him. He's the second best player on this team. Second best player. You want him to give you that 19, 20 points per game. You want him to be the second scorer behind Julius Randle. So I like that R.J. Barrett's been uh, defensively this season. has been amazing. Offensively, he's getting better. His three-point percentage is staying around 40%. So that means that that's becoming a consistent part of his game. So I, I think I think the Knicks will be fine. I, I, I agree with you, Joel. I think... I think R.J. Barrett being that second scoring option is going to benefit the Knicks. We beat the Bucks. I'm not too gassed about it because they were, they, you know, <laughs> Middleton, Middleton was out. Lopez was out. Drew Holiday, uh, Drew was, Holiday was on the minutes restriction. I'm not too gassed about it. You know, whatever. It is 20. what it is. Yeah, you got to be gassed about the comeback. I'm the gassed comeback about was the amazing. Comeback. I'm gassed about the comeback, definitely. And I'm gassed that we beat we beat another I guess solid team in the East because they still had Giannis. Giannis is still an MVP player. We know that. R.J. Barrett has improved this game so much. Coming out of college, can't shoot. Shooting 40% from three right now. The next step in his game was to not only become an all-world defender, become a better ball handler, a passer, and create more off the dribble. R.J. Barrett has been really good off the dribble this season. Mm -hmm. He has been. He, He 
he can create for himself now. It's fluid. You see these step backs, these side steps. Drew Hamlin, Hamlin, his trainer, he said that RJ Barrett is the RJ Barrett is the only player he's seen that's made such a drastic improvement in their shooting percentage, three point percentage from one year to the next. RJ Barrett. The reason for that is because RJ is a lion. He's a hard worker. And he's not going to back down from any challenge. And that's just, it is what you know, it is. He talks like he knows this guy. No, no. I'm <laughs> laughing because I love, I love the analogies. I love the quote. That was fire. And RJ's not backing down for nobody. He wants to be the king. And he's going to be the king in New York eventually. Right now, it's, it's King Jules. Julius Reno. Like you said, is his team. No. But RJ is getting better off the dribble. Next step is to get a better handle. He's going to do that. You know, he's going to add to his game. That right hand. I've been seeing it this year. Yeah, me too. I mean, I be I think he he's good enough with his right hand. He could cook with it. I think. <laughs> you know, he's that good this year. So I RJ Barrett, we're gonna talk about players in the most improved uh player category in these upcoming topics. But RJ is definitely up there. He's probably not one of the favorites to win the awards because we have Ja and Bridges and even Harrow and Cole Anthony doing their thing. But RJ deserves a lot of credit. And like I said, he's been the most disrespected player in the league for a while, being left off all these lists. He's just silencing his doubters. He was the first-ranked player in the country out of high school for a reason. Over Zion. Yeah, he was the, first, he was the third overall pick for a reason. He's R.J. Barrett. He's going he gonna to do his thing. And the Knicks going to do their thing as well. You know, nothing. I, I, I tweeted this before. Nothing to me feels better than a Knicks win and an R.J. Barrett great performance. Nothing. Because nobody can tell me anything. If the Knicks win, but R.J., you know, has like 12, now it's, oh, R.J. only had 12. If the Knicks win and R.J. does great, you can't say nothing. Yeah, nah, you I'm can't. like Kanye West, you can't tell me nothing. <laughs> I'm doing my thing. Miles Bridges, we talked about most improved player. We're, we're about to talk about it. Miles Bridges is a player that everybody is putting in the most improved player favorite category right now because He's made a drastic jump. This year, he's averaging 22.7 points per game. Last year, it was at 12.7. He's at a 10-point jump right now. His efficiency isn't as good as last season's, but from everything from points to rebounds to assists, he's up that this season. Do you think as of right now, he is the most improved player, the runaway most improved player, or do you think it's somebody else? I'll start with you, JC. Um. If you look at the statistics, the point jumps, it's pretty safe to say that he is the runaway player. I mean, like you said, last year he's averaging 12. He's giving you 23 a game this year, 22.7. I rounded it up. Uh, he's get, he's better and in all aspects of, the, of basketball statistically as well. Um, I The other day I was watching him when he was playing the Nets and... You know, I was I was I was thinking of that uh that old Miles Bridges, that guy that's gonna give you 10, 12, wasn't thinking much of it. Then he lights us up for like 34 points per game, hitting ridiculous step back shots, three pointers, and I'm like, yo, this kid led every scorer on the basketball or scored more than Kevin Durant. I'm like, yo, this kid has gotten much better. Like I, I didn't I, I thought that shooting was a an inconsistent part of his game. Obviously you said the percentages are down, but I mean, he's just uh, across the board. He's gotten much better. I think um, he's a big part for Charlotte right now being five and five. Granted, they've been like, you know, telling off a little bit. But um, yeah, I mean, if you just if, just as a viewer, you can see that his jump shots gotten better. He's gotten more efficient. 
He's starting to hit pull-up jump shots now. He's always been good at attacking the rim. Defensively, he's been okay too. So in all aspects of of of, of his game, he's improved. And that 10 point uh that 10 points per game improvement, I mean, that screen's most improved player. If you're somebody who's going from averaging 12 to now 23 points per game, your team is pretty much winning. You guys are five and five right now. People, you know, we view you as a good team. I think it's it's safe to say that, you know, he is number one right now for the most improved player of the year. Do I think that he's the runaway, like he's going to win it? No, I think there's other players, you know, that you have to look into. Tyler Harrell's looking looking really good this year. He would probably be my secondary candidate. And it's just other other players across the association that have stepped up in their game. But right now it's safe to say 10 games into the season that he's, you know, he's number one right now. But I'm not opposed to somebody else coming and, and taking that crown away from him. But right now I do think that he's improved in all aspects of his game. And I think right now he should be number one. So... He probably is number one right now, but Runaway is probably strong for me personally. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Cl- I'm not sleeping on Jordan Poole. If Jordan, Jordan Poole, Poole continues to be this shooter, be this defensive prowess player that he has been these last few games, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he 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 gets that most improved player, especially if Golden State's the number one seed in the Western Conference. That's going to play a huge part in it as well. I also look at OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi's up six points per game from last season. His percentages are down because he's taking a lot more shots. I think he was at 48% last year. I think he's at 41 now, which is definitely a drop, but we've seen an improvement on in his game as well. Miles Bridges has been excellent. As you mentioned, Tyler Hero has been excellent as well. I just think that it's not a lock because we've seen some iffy games out of Miles Bridges. Yeah. We've seen a ten point uh ten point performance last game against Sacramento. Sacramento is good defensively, at least at least this season. Against Golden State, he lit them up. Thirty two points. He was excellent. Against Cleveland, thirteen points. It's just been a bunch of inconsistent spots where that's why I look at a guy like at, at like Jordan Poole, excuse me, and look at a guy like OG Ananobi and think that it's not a dead lock for him to win, even though the jump that he's made, ten points per game, you add that to your game. That's on, it's not something that can be ignored by any means. And especially if he brings his team or is a key part in bringing his team to the playoffs, because obviously I look at LaMelo as the best player on the Hornets, yeah. and he'll be the one to lead them. But he could be right there alongside LaMelo and get just, a, I wouldn't say as much credit because that's never going to happen, especially with the superstar that LaMelo has. But he'll get his just due mm-hmm. in terms of respect. But again, if Jordan Poole's team is the number one seed in the West and they keep this defensive rating, and it would be in part due to Jordan Poole's excellent defense as well, mm-hmm. and he continues to improve his jump shot and continues to improve his efficiency, it's possible that he could secure that. Oh. I'm actually surprised that you guys... Wait, I was... Oof. I was going to say... Let me get my just due to Harrison Barnes because he's been incredible this okay. year. I... I completely forgot about him he was on my he was on my notes he's been outstanding this year that's all i had to say he's another one that can contest that uh award i'm actually surprised you guys think bridges is one because i don't and i don't think he's one at rj all. barrett it's not rj barrett wow and i can't believe you guys didn't mention him because in, in the midst of you talking about bridges and hero and then you talking about pool and then og what about john morant John Morant is, oh, yeah. in my opinion, the most improved player favorite. I mean, I think la- last saw year, him as a superstar already. Last so. year, superstar. Had, last year he averaged nineteen four and seven. This year it's twenty five six and seven, shooting forty nine percent from the field, thirty five percent from the three, four four percentage jump in field goal percentage and five percent jump in three point percentage. And when we're talking about keeping it up, 
He's kept it up. Miles Bridges, he has to compete with LaMelo and Gordon Hayward and Rozier on a nightly basis for that scoring punch. Morant doesn't. Jonas is not there no more. It's Steven Adams who, as as a really good passing big man, has elevated the Grizzlies offense because this is something people don't understand. If a player can shoot, yes, he offers spacing. If a center can shoot, he offers spacing. If a center can pass, he also offers spacing. Just because Steven Adams is not a shooter doesn't mean he doesn't offer spacing. So what does he offer? Because he, he offers spacing because he, he can pass. Because he can pass. Oh, okay. So you're I saying, think okay, okay, passing okay, I big men's offer you spacing because they okay. can open up lanes for players. John Morant can keep this up. I don't know how long Dylan Brooks is out, but even when he comes back, you know, Jaron Jackson... Iffy. He he's showing us that he's probably not that guy. Like he's, he's had some moments, but he's I agree. A, he's Iffy. a he's a good role player. He can fill into some spots, but in terms of being a, a all star or one of the better players in at his position, You're right? I don't know if Jaron Jackson's going to be that. John Morant has shown us he can take a team to the playoffs. Memphis is playing really well right now. I think Memphis is getting into the playoffs. If Ja averages twenty five for the season with his seven assists and six rebounds. Memphis makes the playoffs. I don't see how Miles Bridges wins this award. I understand the 10-point jump, but John Morant has went up six points, and efficiency's better, rebounds are better, and his team is winning more as well. I think if, if it's not Miles Bridges, it's John Morant. If it's not John Morant, it's Miles Bridges. I really don't see anybody that's coming close to that. Harrison Barnes. Yeah, wait, what do you a, feel about Harrison Barnes? He's been playing pretty well this year. I honestly feel like he's not going to play like that. Okay. And they're sleeping on Harrison. Harrison's nice. No, but the can, reason, can, we, can, can he get re- credit for balling out so he's far? He's balling this year. out so okay. far. The reason he why balled last season. The reason why I haven't been invested into Harrison Barnes and I haven't really <laughs> thought about him twice when thinking about this award or even when think thinking about praising him is because mm-hmm. I don't think he's gonna keep it up. Okay. I think I Fair think enough. this is a TJ Warren bubble saga stage for Barnes. He's gonna do this for like 15, 20 games, then he's gonna come <laughs> back down to earth. That's we'll what we revisit that. And then at the end of the year, we're going to see Barnes averaging 17, 18 a game. His regular? That's what he's been. You know, and I, I told yo, I told y'all before the Barnes, season, baby. is there a scenario where Jeremy Grant is not averaging at 24 that he averaged a oh year my previous? God. He is God Jer- awful Jer- this Jeremy year. Grant has really dropped down oh my goodness. this season. And I told you there's a possibility he, he does yo, that. Drew, he was 0 for 9 against the Nets yesterday. He didn't make a shot. He was <laughs> 0 crazy. for 9. It was Oh, my God, it was so bad. Let me ask you this. John Moran's been all-world. He's been excellent. Is that points-per-game carried by his early performance in the beginning of the season? It definitely is. He laid so a stinker Bridges, last though. game. But Bridges, and I agree, had, Bridges has multiple 30-point games. I don't disagree at all. But the fact that he's jumped 10 points per game, he's on Charlotte. Obviously, they're not a primetime team. He has been a key contributor to, to their success. So far. I just think that John Morant, the voters are going to know, listen, we we already have seen John Morant. We know what John Morant is. This wouldn't be, uh, I guess you any award is, is a praise to your name, but this isn't an award that would really mean much to John Morant because people He's should better know. Than we this. know. We know what John Morant is. It would mean a lot to him, I think. I'm, think that's what I'm saying. Yeah, to any, him, yeah. any award you win in the NBA is, is in high regard. But I already terms, see him as an all But look at what that award would mean to Miles Bridges. Look yeah. what that award would mean to Jordan Poole. You see John Moran as an all-star now, but last year he wasn't viewed that way. 
Last year he was he was viewed as an all star caliber player. I was always high. I thought he was an all star. Maybe it's just my fan. His playoff performance really made us, you know, and his playing performances made us really, you know, open up our eyes to him a little bit. But this is really like his third season breakout season that he's really ascending into that top echelon of the league in terms of guards. In my opinion, you take the Grizzlies to the playoffs in your first year in your second season. The Grizzlies who have been first year. Wasn't he a rookie that that year that he? No, they didn't make the playoffs. They didn't make the plan. Excuse me, in the bubble they they missed out. You're right, they did miss out. That being said, to to have them in contention in the West that is extremely difficult to have success in. To be this early in your career and have this already have this much of an impact on mm-hmm. your squad and yeah. and make your team a a contender for the playoffs, you gotta at least get respect in that sense. So I feel like with that alone, people look at John Moran like he is a a superstar. I think he's one in the making for sure. But when talking about this award, I think voters are gonna lean Ja a little bit more, and because of Charlotte having a lot of players that can score. I don't know if Bridges can keep this up. Do I think he'll average like twenty, possibly? Maybe. But I really you don't think twenty three. Though I, right? I I don't know. No. Twenty three. I, I think Rozier Bailey's played. I think Bridges at the end of the year will average eighteen and nineteen. I don't think he'll stay at twenty. That's still a big two. improvement, though. It's a gigantic improvement. Yeah, and like Poole's so, averaging fifteen right now with a bunch of games in between of being very sketchy. Poole's out. I don't think he's out. I don't Pool's think out. he's out. He I was disagree. my pick. He's out, though. Bro, 25 and 31 the last two games. His defense has been stellar. If he can just be a little bit more consistent, he it's not out of the realm of possibility, given the fact that he's starting to get hot, that he brings it up to 18, 19 points per game. When Clay comes back? It's not Clay's out of the time. realm of possibility. Clay's going to be on a minutes restriction, bro, for a while. That's true, but I, I just think Poole... Especially if they're the one seed, that's going to be interesting. Poole is going to have like a, a three... A five point jump, I think he was at nine last season. He's already at fifteen. Six point jump, so he's at a six point jump. And right there's, it's not out of the realm of possibility. He brings that up with as good as he's been these, these last, last two, two games, performances. Yeah, that it's not out of the realm of possibility that he can get that to a seven. Well, he was at twelve last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's at seventeen point six right now. So is he? Is so he, he at, like a six point? Where jump. is he? Is he a top five in that award? In your opinion? Top five candidates? I think one is Ja. Betting odds is Ja, Miles Bridges. I'm not. Three is Harrow, I think. Mm-hmm. And then it's like Poole and OG. Or Barnes. But I don't know if Barnes is there. But I know that the betting odds, it's like it's like Ja Moran is plus 350. Bridges is plus 400. And then the next guy, which is Harrow, is like plus 4,000. I don't know who wow. I was looking at. I guess maybe his first like year. That. He's averaging eight. My so bad. so yeah. last year he averaged 12. Yeah. Yeah. Because he started later on in the season and really kicked up. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I think it's, this award really is between Ja and Miles Bridges. And something tells me Ja's going to get that edge. He is Ja. So, yeah. if if people already, if you're saying that he's the odds-on favorite to win it already, and people want him to, to get that award the I way mean, he's been playing, I mean, he's Ja Morant. He's had a six-point increase, right? So then if, if your prediction of uh, Miles Bridges averaging 18 and he has a six-point increase— you might be right. We're going to look at a 25 points per game score from a 19 to a 25 is like, wow. So I, I don't I don't I think that you might have a point there. And this is without Dylan Brooks, too. And you said that you think that he'll continue to sustain it. I think it's possible that he could sustain it, obviously, because he's shown he has the ability to to backpack a team if he needs to. But Dylan Brooks point. is a ball. He, he's a good ball player and he knows how to score. That's the a basketball. great. That's a that's a great point, because now as a voter, I'm looking at. OK, so he went from 12 to 18. 
but this guy went from 19 to 25, John Morant might have my vote. But we'll see. Cole Anthony is another guard that is in that race. I don't know where he is in that race, but he's good. Cole Anthony, because he plays for Orlando, probably isn't getting his just due. He's averaging 19 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 5.5 assists, shooting 42% from the field, 40% from three. He was one of the top players coming out of high school, the second-ranked player in the country coming out of high school. Cole Anthony, son of Greg Anthony, from New York, could have drafted him on draft night. I would have loved Cole Anthony on my team, but he's on the Orlando Magic. Now, the good thing about the Magic and the fact in the fact that they drafted so many guards, you know, drafting Jalen Suggs, drafting RJ Hampton, or trading for RJ Hampton, drafting Cole Anthony, trading for Markel Fultz, is that they can see who pans out and who doesn't. And as of right now, it's looking like Cole Anthony is going to pan out. Markel Fultz coming off coming off an ACL injury. Awesome. I mean, Markel Fultz and you know. He hasn't had a season as good as Cole Anthony, and he's been in the league longer. Yeah. R.J. Hampton, I like. Jalen Suggs doesn't look too great right now, but he's a rookie. We'll give him time. What does Cole Anthony's emergence mean for the Orlando Magic? And before I let you guys answer this, I want to give a shout-out to what they've been doing. Jamal Mosley has been amazing with the player development. Wendell Carter averaging a double-double. Mo Bamba averaging 12-9 and nine with two blocks, shooting close to 50% from the three and 40%. I'm fifty percent from the field and forty percent from three. I mean, these guys are playing well. They're losing games, but you can see that these younger players are developing. And the fact that Mo Bamba is just getting playing time now is a disgrace. Because I thought that when he played, he made an impact. But Steve Clifford never played him much. But now he's getting his opportunity, and he's playing really well. Franz Wagner also playing well. Their young guys are really stepping up to the plate, but Cole Anthony has been the best, averaging 19, four 20-point games and one 30-point game this season. He's doing his thing. So what do you think about Cole? I think Cole Anthony is a solid ball player. I mean, he's shown it up until this point. He's been an excellent ball scorer for them. Uh, facilitating the offense, averaging 5.5 assists is obviously pretty good, especially when the pieces around him aren't the you know the greatest scorers either. I think ultimately... In terms for what it means for Jalen Suggs and who who else did you bring up? R.J. Hampton or uh, Markel Fultz? Yeah, Fultz? Excuse me. I think Markel Fultz is an unfortunate situation, obviously, because we've seen when he's on the court, he he is a good ball player. It's just unfortunate what injuries have done to his career. Jalen Suggs is interesting because he's a shooting guard. To it, like, right now he's listed as a shooting guard. Played played uh, point guard, excuse me, in college. So. Obviously, he's capable of doing so, but up until this point, facilitating the offense, he hasn't been that great. I think he's averaging just under four assists. His PER right now is at a six. So Jalen yeah. Suggs definitely been struggling. I feel like all that does for Jalen Suggs, though, is relieve a little bit of pressure off of him. It doesn't necessarily mean that Jalen Suggs has to be, you know, the end-all, be-all, or the Magic are going to be trash. At least he has a few, you know, bright spots of the squad where Cole Anthony has been spectacular up until this point. You mentioned it. Mo Bamba, Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter, who, uh, as much as Riv says that Wendell Carter sucked on the Bulls, he wasn't terrible. No, he wasn't bad on the Bulls. He was not. I mean, he was essentially doing this. He was a a good rebounder and just got just around 10 points, 11 points per game. He's basically what he was in the Bulls, except we're seeing on the Magic because he's getting more opportunities than he would. And, and Mo Bamba, like you mentioned, another one who's getting more opportunities. Why wouldn't you, if you're the Magic, 
take or start giving a, a guy you drafted it wasn't he the, the fifth pick overall fifth, it, yeah. it makes absolutely no sense that he had gotten no burn up until this point and now we're starting to see what he's actually made of that was just an oversight by by the magic for sure but back to where we were talking about Cole Anthony and, and Jalen Suggs and, and Markel Fultz it Markel Fultz I think that that they need to move on from that I think that the, giving him that contract they probably felt like they needed to do it because he was one of the few bright spots of the squad at the time. But I feel like with the way that they're moving, they need to 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 hone in on, on a new scheme, a new dynamic. And I feel like this Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs could be a part of that. Wendell Carter, Mo Bamba, they're a, a good step in the right direction of, we have we have players that can rebound. We got we got big men that can shoot the basketball. We have a point guard who can facilitate. We have a shooting guard that can also facilitate, but can also be effective scoring, rebounding, doing a little bit of everything defensively. I just think that it's going to take time, and I feel like Cole Anthony just relieves pressure on the squad that people don't have to be Superman every night. So when Folds comes back, are you starting Folds and benching Suggs? No, I feel like that would be not beneficial for Suggs' confidence. But I think Suggs, Suggs hasn't been good. He hasn't been good at all. A six PER is embarrassing. Uh, regardless of whether you're a rookie or not, we've seen rookies still be somewhat efficient mm-hmm. and, and and not post up a six PER. <laughs> I think you do probably start Fultz because you gave him money. You don't want to see him not you know live up to or 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 waste that that money that you that you put into him. So I think you do start him and. And Suggs shouldn't take it personal or, or feel like he's being benched. He's a rookie. You got to ultimately earn your playing time. And we saw where Mo Bamba, he, he really had to earn his playing time. So it's not anything against Suggs. Suggs knows that he's an integral part of this team. He just got to understand his point or his position on the squad as of right now. And we're not even talking about Jonathan Isaac and what that can do for Franz's minutes or even Chumo Kiki. And Franz has been back. excellent up until this point. No, he's Franz, been, he's been really good. He's been, he's been amazing. Really he's been good. stellar. He's been amazing. Um,. So, I mean, the emergence of uh, Cole Anthony, I mean, like I said, um, personally, me, I was I, I was never really a big fan of Markel Fultz, especially with that whole situation about him not really being a consistent jump shooter. Uh, coming off an ACL tear, I just don't feel like anything's going in his favor. As a as just strictly my opinion, I would move on from him if I was the Orlando Magic. I think you stick with Cole Anthony, Jalen Suggs. They're they're younger. And you know Cole Anthony start Cole Anthony's playing really well this year. This is um a guy who he's he's taken a a big leap in his three point percentage. Last year was at thirty six. This year he's at forty. Given it's only like ten eleven games, let's see if he can continue it. Uh, his efficiency last year. I had questions about his efficiency last year. He was shooting thirty five, thirty six percent. That's up to forty two, forty three on the border of forty three percent. So I I agree with you, Drew. I think that this that his play kind of like relieves or takes off pressure from, pressure from Jalen Suggs because Jalen Suggs was a lottery pick, and you know, uh, to your guy's point, he's not really playing that well. He's shooting thirty one percent for the field, twenty three percent for the three. I think he'll turn it around. I think he was uh, he's a really talented player. I think he was a good prospect coming out of college. I think that he can definitely turn it around, but. As far as the Markel Fultz aspect of it, if you're running that that guard that that three guard set, if I'm you know off on one, I'm off on Markel Fultz. I know you paid him a lot of money, but I feel like you bringing back Markel Fultz could potentially stunt the growth or stunt the you know the confidence that Jalen Suggs might have going into the season. I think Jalen Suggs is going to turn it around. I don't think he's going to continue to shoot 31 percent from the field and 23 percent from the from the three point line. I can see. 
him him getting his get him getting more comfortable with the NBA game and being and being more efficient. But as far as Cole Anthony, he's the number one guard right now. He's giving you 19 points. Pretty good. He's he's actually really good at rebounding. I was I was watching a video breakdown of, of him the other day. So far, he's actually one of the best rebounding guards in the league. He's pretty small too. So for the fact that he's getting all those rebounds, that's pretty impressive. I would like to see him improve as as a playmaker a little bit. I know he's averaging five. I think there's room for growth there. But as far as his game this year, he's definitely he's definitely surprised me. Uh, statistically across the board for his percentages and averages, I think he's good. I think the Magic know right now he is their number one guy. Jalen Suggs should be their number two, and I would be out on Markel Fultz. I was never really high on him. The way Cole Anthony is playing right now, this is the best point guard play Orlando has had since Jameer, Jameer. Nelson. Yeah, Nelson. It is the best point guard play they have had since Jameer Nelson. <laughs> the ad lib. Nelson. <laughs> I used to be a big fan of him when, when I was a big Dwight Howard fan back in the day. I used to like Jameer, Jameer Nelson's Jameer Nelson game. was good, man. He, was a he had a good. He had a good season. He was good. He was he good was that good. year. He was huge for them. Then he got hurt, and they needed him. Nelson, baby. It, it's so weird with Orlando because I think they, you know, if I was a Magic fan, I'd be feeling, I'd be feeling optimistic, but I've, I'd also be feeling kind of weary. The reason why is because optimistic in the fact that Cole Anthony looks good, Franz Wagner looks good, Mo Bamba looks good, Wendell looks, looks good. good. Oh yeah, and then I'm forgetting somebody, but I just Jonathan go back Isaac. to Nick. Oh yeah, and Jonathan Isaac is returning, and he's a pivotal part to what they he's do. He's usually as a good team. when he plays. I, so. I mean, yeah. you got Terrence you know, Ross; he's been playing okay. You know, I think when Isaac comes back, it's going to be bomb at the five. I would start bomb, and I would have Wendell it's off a pretty the bench. good young team, man. But then you have guys like R.J. Hampton. What is he going to be? Chumo Kiki hasn't been getting much minutes as of recently. Hasn't been as productive as he was his rookie season. He's coming back from an injury. Then you talk about Markel Fultz. They gave him a contract. How is he going to be? You know, is he going to live up to his expectations? Jalen Suggs, you know, even though I know it's he's just a rookie and it's just the start to his career, the way he's playing, when you look at how Scotty's playing, when you look at how Josh Giddy's playing, when you look at how da- the impact Davion Mitchell has made at Sacramento, you got to be looking at yourself if you're an Orlando Magic fan like, did we take the wrong guy? Early. You know, like Suggs obviously had all the hype, but – as a player, you know the potential. He does. He did. I don't. I don't think he has as much potential as Jonathan Kaminga. They passed up on Kaminga on Giddy, who I love. Giddy, Giddy, you know? I can understand. Kaminga, we got to wait and see because yeah, obviously you're, you're totally right. Project right. You're now. totally right. The player that everybody thought, the pick that everybody thought Orlando nailed in the draft, they didn't nail it. And the player that everybody thought they didn't nail in Franz is the right. one who's drastically you're 100% better. Yeah. Right. So if I'm a Magic fan, I'm like, okay, we have all these good young players, but. On the other side of the spectrum, man, what is Suggs going to be? Is he another Alfred Payton? And nah. I, I, I don't, I don't think he's going to be that. Nah. But you got to be thinking like, yo, nah. maybe there is a slight possibility there. It's really early. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Yeah. But these are just <laughs> thoughts that I would have if I was a fan. Jalen Suggs, you know, what is Chuma going to be? Uh, what is R.J. Hampton going to be? You know, it's just they have these young players, but because they have a bunch of young players at the same position. One person, when they take that leap, it's going to overshadow somebody else. So Cole Anthony, I didn't expect him to be doing this. I thought the starting one spot was Jalen Suggs all day. He was going to be the point guard of the future. But if Cole plays like this, it's not going to be Suggs. The, their point guard of the future is going to be Cole. Yeah, so then you, you drafted Suggs to be your, your, your guy for the future, but now it's Cole. So now your Cole is being great at the expense of what Suggs could have been. So it's kind of like... 
it's kind of like a swing. You, you think know, they can co- you think they can play coexist together, Suggs and uh and uh, Cole Anthony? I think they can. I, I think so. I don't like it, honestly. I really? I, I just I just don't like guard tandems like that. Like guard tandems that are that are formed like that remind me of Monte and Brandon Jennings. Remind me of what's wrong you know, with that though? Brandon Jennings and Monte was, was pretty. They don't fit. They don't fit. They had success together, but I just don't think long term it's of it's a recipe so you're for saying, success. So you're saying Orlando might have to make a decision down the road to get rid of one of them. Yeah, and and that's what happens with teams when they have multiple guards. They have to do, make that decision. All I say is, even with Jalen Suggs' struggles right now, he's still averaging just under 13 points a game. It's like he can only. Oh, you're right. He's getting up a lot of shots can, though, which is true. Yeah. But again, the game's going to come more it's easy early. to him. You're right, early. but I'm just saying, like, super early. I don't view. Markel Fultz as a shooting guard. I don't view Jalen Suggs as a shooting guard. That's the I don't view R.J. Hampton. Oh, I do view R.J. I view R.J. Hampton as a tweener, like th- three, two, yep, one, yep. whatever. But they're playing them at that position because they got to play because yeah. they want to see what they have in those players. Yeah. But only one of those guys is going to be the point guard. I think the other guys are probably going to get traded down the road. I just don't. I don't view Suggs as a shooting guard. I think he's a point guard. I feel like at this point in time, if when Isaac comes back, the way that Wendell and 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 Mo Bamba have been playing, is it out of the the realm of possibility that you have, uh, uh, excuse me, Jalen Suggs be the sixth man off the bench? Because you're saying that you you have yeah, concerns I, about. I, no, I, I think it's possible. I, and I think because Franz, you can't take him out of the starting lineup. Right Franz now. is going to start at the three. Wendell is going to come off the bench when Isaac comes back. The starting lineup, when everybody's healthy, is going to be, in my opinion, Cole, Markel, Franz, Isaac, and Bamba. Oh. Off the bench is going to be Suggs, mm-hmm. Wendell, Okiki, Terrence Ross, and the guys they got. You know, that's How do you I feel think. about Markel Fultz? I'm not a big fan, but he did have some flashes, you he know. Did. He did. Before he got hurt, he had some flashes. He had a game winner against the Lakers, and then he got hurt. He's so. still athletic. It's just ultimately his jumper is spotty. And to me, Markel is more of a two than Suggs is a two. Mm-hmm. I think Suggs is he he's an initiator size. of an offense. Yeah, he is. Markel Fultz, even out of college, he was a combo guard. Do, do you think Suggs can grow into that aspect to be a shooting guard? If need be, if he if he develops a spot of shooting, absolutely. But I just don't think that's where he's gonna be best, and that's what I mean. Like Orlando's in a spot where you know you're happy that Cole is Balling. exceptional, but then it's like, man, does this mean Suggs isn't our guy? I feel like Cole Anthony could play the two. Why can't Cole Anthony play the two and Suggs plays the one? Because Cole needs the ball in his hands, which is fine. A shooting guard can still get the ball in his hands. Yeah, he can. yeah but Cole is Cole is nineteen and six right now. Oh, listen, he's been. All world. But we don't but look again, at him, we don't look rookie, him as a premier a, playmaker either, though, right? No, he's not, but I think Cole can be... You don't have to be a premier playmaker to play the point guard position. It's just Suggs. I don't view Suggs and look at oh, great shot creator. I don't see that. My pre-draft comparison for Suggs was the best of Eric Bledsoe. I think Jalen Suggs is going to be Eric Bledsoe at his best, which was in Phoenix. He gives you, like... 19, 6, and 6. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's what Jalen Suggs is, a transition player, a rhythm player. Do you think Cole can transition to the shooting guard? I think he he has those skills, but he's a, a bad, point guard in my opinion. Team, and I just, I'm just not a fan of having undersized twos. I'm just not. You know, Cole's what, 6'2", six, 6'3"? Six, I don't want that in my shooting guard. Suggs is 6'4". I want a 6'6 six, six shooting guard. That's, I'm traditional. I want a 6'5", six, 6'6 six, six shooting guard. That's what I want. What's going to save Suggs is that he's a really good defender. But 
I said it before. My pre-draft comparison was was Eric Bledsoe in Phoenix. So I think you know he's best at that one spot. Cole to me is more more of the realm of like the Dames and the Campbell Walkers, scoring guards. They still play that one, but because they're so great at scoring, they're gonna have that spot solidified. Mm-hmm. And Suggs has to be great at something. Like Cole Anthony, he's great at rebounding. He's a great shot creator. Suggs has to be great at something. Right now, it's defense. What I like about Suggs is that he's still playing with great IQ. He his shots just not falling. That's it. But we have to see how that goes. You know, I'm with I, you. I like Suggs, but I just think because there's so much guards, somebody's gonna get left out. And who knows who's it gonna be? As of right now, it doesn't look like it's gonna be Cole. And walking to the, walking into the season. I thought the guy that would have that was gonna get left out was Cole, and now he's the one blossoming out of everybody. For sure, I'm with you. Cade Cunningham, first overall pick in the NBA draft by the Detroit Pistons, he's averaging 10.8 points per game, 5.8 rebounds, 2.8 assists per game, and averaging 2.3 turnovers, shooting 23% from the field. And four, and he's only made four threes out of twenty-eight so far this season. Are you worried about Katie Cunningham and his shooting struggles? He is not the only guy on Detroit that people are worried about, or might be worried about. I mean, another guy, Killing Hayes. You know, everybody's worried about him, but he can go. Cade Cunningham, what's up with him? Do you think he'll figure it out? Is this just the start of the season? Do you think this is a big deal? Um. No, I don't think this is a big deal. This is the number one overall pick. This is the guy that I picked to be rookie of the year. Um, what is he shooting right now from the field? 21%? 23.2. That's not going to last. I mean, game by game, like these last two games, he's gotten better. Even against even against Brooklyn last night, it was a little bit inefficient, but he gave you 17 points. It's pretty efficient from the three. I think he was three for five from the three. Yeah, three for seven. I mean, I, I, just look at, I just look at his game in college. He was a really well-rounded scorer. He's a good all-around player. And he's obviously he's much better than averaging ten points and two assists a game. I don't think that that this twenty three percent field goal percentage is going to keep up. I think as you know, as he gets more experience, as he plays more games down the road, you know he'll he'll be more comfortable with the NBA game. Um, and as far as the three point percentage, I mean, he was a pretty good three point percentage shooter in college. If you look at the form on his jump shot, he has an exceptional jump shot shooting form, really nice form. I think that 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 part of the game is going to obviously uh, increase his percentage as time goes on. So no, I, I'm not worried about. Uh, I'm not worried about Cade Cunningham struggles. I mean, I saw him yesterday. He was not going toe to toe, but he was he was fearless on the court. He was going at James Harden a couple plays where he went at Kevin Durant, hit a couple clutch threes last night, made the game pretty close in the fourth quarter with his two three pointers. So no, I think that this is just rust. I think that injury, you know, he he's starting to he 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 has to get used to the NBA game. It's much faster. Uh, there's much more expected out of him. Jeremy Grant's struggles really hasn't helped him out as well because Jeremy Grant was supposed to be that guy who's, you know, your number one scorer. I mean, he's taken a, a tremendous drop-off statistically this year. So, no, I think with the more more games that he plays, Cade Cunningham will be good. I mean, I saw a couple plays yesterday. He went to the basket, looked good. Jump shot looked good. Transition passing looked good. Rebound is good. Solid defense. I think the kid's going to be fine. I just think you got to give it a couple more games, and I think he'll have that one breakout game, and we'll all look back at this and be like, whoa, like we were kind of over overreacting all this. So I think that the kid's going to be fine. I'll tell you what hurts. We were waiting on the debut of Cade Cunningham. Obviously, he was the last rookie, well, the number one rookie in the draft, number one select overall, and then he's the last rookie to make his debut. We're all anticipating it. We were all excited for it. And then he goes, and he goes one of eight against Orlando. (laughs) It's just not what you were expecting to see by any stretch of the means. But ultimately, I'm not too stressed about it. I think he's Cade Cunningham. 
think that he has all the intangibles to be successful. And you still look at the games that he still struggled in. He's still making an impact on the court, whether it be defense, whether it be passing, whether it be rebounding. Cade Cunningham is the type of player that he doesn't have to have his shot falling to still have an impact on the game. And that's what makes him so special, and that's what allows me to still have confidence in him going in the future. Against the Nets, this was, to a degree, his breakout game. You look at six, <laughs> six or 17, obviously that's not the best, but still 17 points, uh, a steal, uh, four rebounds, two assists, clutch shooting in the, in the, uh, come down the stretch of the game against a solid Nets team nevertheless. He was playing defense against Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, obviously, is Kevin Durant. He's cooking them, but the fact that he's willing to take that challenge this early in his career shows to me that he's fearless. I mean, you, my biggest issue with people that are struggling are when you're struggling, you are hesitant mm-hmm. and you you shy away from taking the shots that you normally would take. I would rather a player go two or fourteen like he did against Milwaukee than a player go zero for four because he just didn't feel it in those four shots. Mm-hmm. Because at least you're showing me that you know what I may be down, but you're not going to stop me. It, it I I may be not the the normal self that I that I'm accustomed to, but I, I'm going to hit eventually. It's it just takes a certain type of confidence in, in a player to uh to to really put you in, in that type of headspace the the Kobe Bryants the the Allen Iversons the LeBron James the Kevin Durants Kate Cunningham has that type of potential I'm not saying that he's going to be Kevin Durant LeBron James but he has that superstar type ability those intangibles to be great 68 200 pounds the ability to facilitate an offense to rebound to score to shoot he can do it all it's inevitable until he gets it going. It's early in his career. I'm not stressed about it at all. Mm-hmm. And just the fact that he has already shown me up until this point that he can impact the game on top of still not being overly concerned about a stat line is great to me. Cade Cunningham is going to be fine. I'm not too worried about this. Um, he had 18 and 10 against Philly. Granted, nine of those points were at the free throw line. 17-4-2 against Brooklyn. From the field, he wasn't good, but from the three, he was good. He was efficient. These are the things Cade Cunningham has done well so far. Defensively, he's been really good defensively. He has been. And, and that's why, even though he's not scoring, he makes an impact on the court because he's a really good defender. And he's getting shots off. It would bother me if the shots, if he was forcing up shots, if he was shot chucking. We know he has the ultimate green light. But Kate is getting to his spots. Getting good shots. He's getting good shots. He's getting to his spots. He's just not making them. He's not finishing at this moment. What he's not doing so well, I think his floaters have been off. His floaters haven't been good at all. His passes are off. And I said this before the draft because Riv and I talked about Mobley versus Cade. I talked about it. I thought Evan Mobley coming out out of the draft was a better passer than Cade. I don't see Cade as a play as a great playmaker. He can playmake to an extent, but he's not a Luca level playmaker. He's not or like what Luca was coming out of, you know, Europe. He wasn't that. He's not a Josh Giddy level playmaker. Like Cade Cunningham is not a phenomenal playmaker. He's a good, good playmaker. But his, you could tell from his passes when he gets double teamed, sometimes you know, he doesn't make the right read. It's a turnover. And you can see it in his, his assist-to-turnover ratio. He doesn't take very good care of the ball and shooting. You know, his form, like you said, JC, it looks great. His form looks great. Are, are there some misses occasionally where he hits the side of the backboard or it hits it hits the glass? You're like, ooh, that's a terrible miss. Of course. But for the most part, his threes have been in and out. 
I don't like his threes have been in and out. I'm like, damn, bro, that's just a tough miss. It is what it is. Cade's gonna figure it out eventually. He's that great. But there are some concerns there. He has to work on some things. He has to work on his floater. He has to work on his passing, his playmaking ability. And teams are already double teaming him, especially off of off of pick and rolls. Yeah. They're leaving, they're leaving the fader usually because when they're doing, when they're trying to get a when they're trying to get a screen for a big man to go to the three-point line and spot up, they're usually leaving their big man and they're usually just trapping Cade. I saw that versus in the Milwaukee Bucks game. They're just doing that. So teams are going to start doubling Cade. Jeremy Grant, we kind of knew that last season was just a fluke season. Like Nobody after that season thought Jeremy Grant was a household name. Yeah, he had that type of season, but we know what type of player Jeremy Grant is. Killian Hayes hasn't shown much. He has been okay defensively. He has been pretty good, but we know what Killian Hayes is at least at this point. You know, they're a team, it's going to be rough this year, but Cade Cunningham, they're just hoping that he plays to the level of his overall selection, which was number one overall pick, because that's what they need right now. Isaiah Stewart, I believe that's his name, correct? He's been pretty good for them. He's up all right. He's point. a good player. Josh Jackson, another guy that I've been pretty... He's all right. He's okay. He, he is all right, but I, I at least like to see him making strides Kelly in this Olenek's game. Kelly Olynyk's been good. Kelly Olynyk's another one that He's he was good. exceptional with the Rockets in his short tenure there, but I feel like his game last night against the Nets was probably his best game of the season. <laughs> but regardless of that, Kelly Olynyk. He's a he's a firm ball player for him, and at least he has another player that he can sort of rely on to to facilitate the basketball. Get you. I'm gonna be honest. If if I'm a star player, oh, and I'm Kelly for a team, oh, listen, I'm with you. And you tell me Kelly Olynyk's a guy I can rely I'm on. I'm with you. I'm leaving. Yeah, I'd be pretty upset about it too. But at the same time, at least it's better than nothing. Because that's really other than him. That's really what Jeremy Grant's giving you. He's not really giving you much, Jeremy Grant. You understand what I'm saying? So I mean, nine? at the minimum, he can look at Kelly. Uh, well, Kelly Olynyk provides some. Like th- five out of ten security, it's it, it could be a lot worse, but it could be a whole lot better. So Jeremy Grant this year is averaging sixteen point six points per game, shooting thirty eight percent from the field and twenty nine percent from three. And that's all based off opportunity with that sixteen points. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, it's crazy because when I put up the video on TikTok about Jeremy Grant and how people he could drop off, crazy. people were like, "Oh, this guy has never heard of increased roles. He's never heard of roles." Bruh, ninety five percent of those guys are Pistons fans. Like, bruh, like you, Jeremy Grant. We knew what he was. Yeah, twenty three. Listen, I didn't think that it was going to be this drastic. Me neither. I thought he would be like maybe, 20, maybe, 21. maybe he picks it up. Who knows? Hopefully, but. maybe yeah, Cade heard, opens up the court for him a little bit too. But I geez. heard, I heard the Pistons right now. They're like the worst shooting team from the field goal. They look in hor- a while. They look horrible. They had a great game against the Nets, but outside of that, they've like looked if they horrible. keep this up, it's historically bad. Yeah, like that's what I heard. It's historically bad. But this is going to do it for this episode of the Pick Us Out Podcast, episode 127. Riv couldn't be here. He was in the hospital. He passed that at the gym. So prayers up for Riv. Put Hopefully some comments in the chat. Better. Get him some water. Just tell him to start drinking something other than what? I forget. what I'm blanking. Bro drinks everything under the sun except water for some reason. <laughs> but what are you going to do? Hopefully he's all Arizona. right. Arizona? Yeah, maybe. That has to be what it is. So you can follow us on Instagram and on TikTok at Pickaside Podcast, on Twitter at Pickaside Pod, and also we bought tickets to the Knicks at Nets game the 30th of November this month. So if you guys got tickets to that game, say what's up, pass by where we're sitting, we'll go meet you guys. So yeah, just wanted to shout that out. Next yep. time I'm going to shout it out at the beginning of the episode because most people are probably gone by now. Yeah, But the thank you guys for listening and watching and we'll see you next time. 
This is BJ Kissel from KC Sports Network. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as our shows, are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they work together. It's something we've actually done locally with our network in Kansas City as well. We're all stronger together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised more than $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which will in turn help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire.